0: And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for.
1: It's time for the Steak for Breakfast
2: podcast.
3: It's Friday, May 12th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 238, powered by the National Pulse. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, and Google Podcasts. Follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to our website, the latest Substack, and our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social.
4: Guys, huge Friday edition of the show today. We're going to be sitting down with Dave Bernhardt, Trump-era Interior Secretary, Liz Harrington, the official spokeswoman for 45 and congressman cory mills and george santos tons of developing news title 42 is no more trump cnn town hall and the house oversight committee finally starts to unpeel the hunter biden connection to joe biden's criminal empire tons of stuff going on we're going to be talking about it all before we get into any of the news let's take it on up to capitol hill
5: Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules.
0: Today, Junior, America! Stake. Like Four!
6: best. So stand by.
4: All right, Big Friday edition of the show today. No better way to start it than taking it up to Capitol Hill. We're going to be sitting down with one of our favorite congressmen in just a second. I'm Marone Noah's here. Yo! Antoinette's joined us. Hello, hello. And joining us first on the show today, he's the congressman representing Florida's 7th District. Really excited to have him back. Congressman Corey Mills, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast.
7: Oh, thanks so much for having me. Good to be back.
4: Listen, you're busy, and we're just glad to have caught up with you finally. You are running around crazy, working your butt off for the American people. Uh, whether it's in district or up on the Hill, uh, sitting in committee or pushing legislation through, Corey, you have been one of the top Congressman, since we've kicked off the season right here in January, and we are extremely proud of the job that you're doing. So thanks for taking time out to join us today.
7: Uh, I really appreciate it. Look, it's an honor for me to be able to try and continue my service to the country. And, you know, I'm blessed to have the confidence of Florida Southern District to be here to help get effectual change and hopefully get legislation in place that gets us back on an America first uh, strategy.
4: Well, I think we should jump right into it. Congressman, you know, Joe Biden decided to play chicken with the Supreme Court, and the American people lost yesterday. Uh, We saw Title 42 sunsetted officially, and uh, you guys were working hard into the wee hours of the night on Wednesday, pushing through House Resolution 2, uh, which is a Border Security Act. you want to tell our listenership a little bit about that?
7: With Title 42 uh, sunsetting, I had an idea for a replacement, which I had pitched originally, it was a public health emergency whenever we had declared Title 42 as a result of the pandemic. My simple idea would have been to have transitioned that to a same public health emergency, but directed towards the fentanyl overdoses where we have, you know, 70,000 plus Americans a year
4: sure.
7: uh, that's losing their lives. Um, unfortunately, that didn't take a lot of traction, didn't get a lot of awareness that it needed to. Um, so I worked with uh, a lot of my colleagues, from Byron Donald, uh, Anna Paulina Luna, uh, Congresswoman Beth Van Dyne, Chip Roy, um, Tom Emmer, and many, many others who was in the room with us, trying to perfect and at least get language that goes after the crux of, of some of the border control issues. Um, yes, this uh, is the most conservative border plan in America's history. There is zero doubt, zero argument from anybody on this when it comes to the support and the asset resource and manning increases for the CBP and ICE, when it comes to completing President Trump's wall on the border, when it comes to returning the Remain in Mexico agreement, but also it does one thing further, and this is what we fought for the most, the original language for what they call an FTO, which is this a kind of foreign designation, if you will, of a terrorist organization or a ununiformed military a, a, a asset, etc., was really starting to be, you know, let's target and go after the problems with cartels. The issue is that certain Republicans had put language in this bill that would have remained all the power to have conducted this report with Secretary Majorca or with Anthony Blinken or with DHS proper. Now, that made no sense to me, given the fact that the crisis that is going on on the border is the exact result of those very people who are not doing their job. Right. And so I was not comfortable with that language. I was not going to support the bill in any way. Um, kudos goes to uh, Congressman Guy Rushensoller and, and Congressman Tom Emmer, who brought in those of us who were really staunch about standing our ground on this. And we were able to find a language that not only returns the power back to the house to be able to conduct this report, but establishes a task force, which is, Just looking at the crisis itself and policies and access that we need, plus putting the report language in place to actually go after uh, these cartels who, as you know, I mean, in 2018, they were making around $500 million a year in revenue. Go under Joe Biden last year, and they were at $13 billion a year with almost 40 plus percent in human and child sex trafficking. Yep. So, you know, this was a really key issue because cartels are the ones that are like really responsible for a lot of this national crisis and humanitarian crisis and health crisis that we're facing in America. And I think that we need to direct it. Uh, I'm very proud of the fact that I ran uh, part of my campaign on the idea of securing the border. I ran it on energy independence and energy dominance, which is what H.R. 1 was about. Uh, but also, you know, even the draft articles of impeachment that I had presented uh, for Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, for the botched Afghan withdrawal, as well as for uh, the weakening and wokeness of our military. Um, these were all things that I promised. And again, promises made, promises kept.
4: Well, you know, we're going to jump into that in just a second. But I do want to reiterate the fact Congressional Democrats... The president of the United States cabinet members will always be so quick to fall back on the crutch of our broken immigration system. And that's why really the border the way it is. We all know that's not true. That's complete BS. But here's the deal. If you're not looking to uh, find solutions on fixing the root causes of the actual problem, they always talk about the root causes of this, that and the other thing. Racism, wokeism, white rage and stuff. It's the cartels. Our immigration system is broken because of the cartels. It's like we have some kind of silent deal with them where they're allowed to exist and cause this ridiculous disaster a human t- humanitarian disaster like we may have never seen before is going to happen on our southern border now just when you talk about the human and sex trafficking alone especially that involving children and and we just allow them to operate freely they they run like a military wing of the state that's more powerful than anything in their law enforcement military and centralized government and and it's the reason that you know 70 plus thousand Americans are dying every year from fentanyl so if if the things in this bill eventually are are you know put to the turf, we are going to see some big-time results because the minute you start to squeeze them, you'll see the problems start to dry up almost instantly. So we, we love that. And you did mention the wokeism in the military. So you and one of our, our favorite guests on the show as well, Congressman Matt Gaetz, uh, you're working to expose, defund, and deauthorize every bit of this radical gender ideology that's currently infecting our outstanding military. I think this is absolutely phenomenal, especially since you saw in just the last week or so the Navy introduced their new spokes woman, man, mm. a, a, a trans drag queen to uh, entice people to sign up for the Navy. You want to tell us a little bit about what you guys are working on?
7: Yeah. So look, I, again, I'm blessed to have tremendous colleagues like uh, Congressman Matt Gates, well, as Congressman Jim Banks, who's chairman of Purse, our military personnel subcommittee yep. of the armed services. And, you know, our big thing is, is that we identify, you know, going through the DOD inspector general's report on why we're seeing a 25,000 plus recruitment deficit at this stage. Now, compile that to the 8,600 plus that was unconstitutionally purged as a result of the vaccine mandates, which are no longer a mandate, I'm happy to say. But that really starts looking at about a three, three and a half division deficit when it comes to our readiness force. Look, our military has been indoctrinated, whether it's through DEI, uh, the you know diverse equity and inclusion nonsense, mm-hmm. whether it was focusing on pronouns, whether it was focusing on Trying to look at identity politics from within, we have to get back to what really matters, which is increased lethality, readiness, and being properly prepared. The men and women of our armed forces are there to serve our nation, not to serve anyone's political agenda. And I think that one of the things that we're trying to do is to expose this, to show where all of these individual secretaries who have supported this, whether it's Under Secretary Cisneros, whether it is the Department of Uh, defense as a whole, whether it is the uh, sec death, whether it's the Biden administration from the top, we must expose this to the point of we don't need, in my opinion, and I think the opinion of most Americans, a single hour of DEI and pronoun training in our military. We are preparing for an enemy like we have never seen before When it comes to the China, Russia, Iran, North Korea geopolitical alignment, we have to start thinking about building up and defending our nation. We have to start thinking about our border. We have to start thinking about what we do to strengthen us politically, militarily and economically. And so this is just one of those key pieces that myself, uh, Congressman Gates and Congressman Banks are really focused on. and, And we will expose this and we will give accountability.
4: Absolutely love it. You know, as a, you know, just for our listenership to clarify, Congressman Mills is a, is a decorated uh, combat veteran. And this is something that is extremely near and dear to him, as is with his congressional counterparts that are working on this as well. And and we're really interested to see and, and hopeful uh, that you guys are really going to get some traction on this right now. And so, with the record,
3: with the record numbers of failing recruitment, I mean, there's a lot of true believers that were in the military that knew they were, I mean, you're in the military. You're basically expendable, but ideally for a good reason. Mm-hmm. But when you had all these people getting called for not getting a experimental gene therapy shot, it's like, come on. And now you're going to, re- now you're trying to replace me with drag queens, drag queens. <laughs> I mean, it, it's kind of, well, but
7: the, 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 yeah, but the bigger problem to me was, is even looking at let, let's go ahead and push the wokeness aside. Let's mm-hmm. look at what was happening with the quality of life of our military personnel. Yeah. I mean, you had military bases who have not seen any MilCon, you know, contracts to actually get enough base housing. So it was forcing people off base. And because of the housing affordability and availability, because of Joe Biden's increase in, you know, inflation, now you had actual staff sergeants who were having to go on WIC and government assistance just to be able to try to survive. Yeah. Now let's add in the fact that the spouses who were actually being forced to go out and get jobs, there was no child care available, or if there was child care available on base, it was for two days a week. So, you know, increasing the amount of child care and accessibility resources and assets to, you know, the military members and their spouses, looking at quality of life, looking at the salary increases. Look, Joe Biden wants to brag about, oh, I gave a 4.6% increase in salary. Well, that doesn't mean much when you've got a 13% rate of inflation. Yep. You're actually invisibly defunding our military. Yeah. My idea was to try and put a bill in place, and I'm still discussing this with our legislative team as well as for others, that will tether the military service members' rate of pay to the rate of inflation to ensure that under no president can they ever be invisibly defunded again.
4: That's something that absolutely has to be examined, and if you could pull off even meeting in the middle on it, Congressman, that would be huge. I mean, greatest fighting force on the planet. They need to be compensated by it. When when an administration comes in, if the military is not supposed to be political, if they're just supposed to be a great fighting force, then they shouldn't have to suffer under the consequences of the bad policies like we've seen with the Biden administration. Congressman, last thing I want to talk to you about, because it's been a while since you've been on the show, you made an endorsement recently that kind of blew up everywhere on social media. I mean, it was that for President Trump and his quest to retake the White House in uh, November of next year. Uh, the Trump campaign celebrated your endorsement. There was many social media posts, everything from the super PACs to President Trump himself. Shortly thereafter, you were invited to uh, a dinner at President Trump's house. We saw you and a lot of the Florida delegation was out there. Pretty awesome to see the whole squad together. Matt Gates, Donald's, Anna Paulina Luna, and, and more. And, uh, you know, as we're heading into this right now, it seems like the 45th president is picking up some steam. I'm sure you at least caught portions of the CNN town hall this week and celebrated how seasoned he already looks this early in the campaign season. What could you say about what went into your endorsement of President Trump, and what are you looking forward to seeing him do for the American people potentially as he heads into this election season?
7: Well, I've been uh, supporting President Trump since 2015. I mean, when he picked his very first five uh, policy advisors, which back then was uh, Wally Forrest, uh, Burt Misisawa, Carter Page, Joe Schmidt, and Keith Kellogg, I used to actually host them uh, each week to make sure they had a secured area to be able to meet, because we all knew what was going on, and later found out about the crossfire hurricane kind of weaponization of the FBI and others. But um, President Trump, he brings a tremendous amount of experience. But you know, in the beginning, he was the political outsider, and so when he came in, there was a lot of learning to be done. When it came to each state, when it came to uh, other Republicans who were working against the agenda, things like this. In this election, you will see an absolutely different president. You will see someone who had learned from many of the the, the things that had gone on in his first presidency. I look at him to come in and be able to really clean house and start over with those who actually support the America First agenda to ensure that nothing can be thwarted. But also, let's look at what he's done from a foreign policy perspective. He did more in his first presidency than numerous presidencies before him, whether it was the Abrams Accord, whether it was the China Phase One deal that brought billions upon billions of funding into our agriculture and farms looking at the replacement of NAFTA with USMCA, looking at the Remain in Mexico agreement, Title 42, looking at the tax reforms that he put in place for 30 years, presidents have been talking about doing a tax reform strategy. And so looking at how he actually got us back to a American first agenda on energy independence, because the president knows that our foreign and domestic policies are so intrinsically linked at this stage that the real global currency, it's not the dollar or the yen or the ruble or the bot or the dinar it's energy. And so the further that we advance ourselves in being able to stop cash diplomacy and interventionism and start looking at being able to protect the home front and supply our allies with reliable, cost effective energy, that's really where we start advancing ourselves on the world stage. And President Trump understands this. But here's the greatest part. Every other person who is running for office right now, not only do they not have the experience that President Trump has in the Oval, but they also have to always be thinking about this looming reelection. They have to start thinking about, if I make this decision, will it impact my re-election? If I do this now, or maybe I should do it in my second term. President Trump doesn't have a re-election looming over his head. He can come in and do a massive course correction that gets America back on track, which is really what we need when you think about the damage that has been done to us from a reputational perspective on the world stage, or like I talked about the three key elements of politics, military, and economics that Biden administration has dropped us into. President Trump's the only one who understands this and can get us back on track. So I unapologetically and fully endorse President Trump for 2024. I am confident that he will not only sweep the primary, but go on to uh, make records when it comes to the 2024 election itself. And, you know, I look forward to continuing to support his presidency and the America First agenda as we move forward.
4: Yeah, I mean, he gets to king make the, the next successor in there. And then when you, you talk about his long list of accomplishments there, I don't think there's a person who's even considering getting into the field who would just walk across the border into North Korea without any secret service or security detail and uh, basically call Kim Jong-un a little chubby and then come back and have a nice meal with him. So, I mean,
7: <laughs> the- well, and, and I'll tell you what's even better. Think, think about this for one moment. President Macron is being influenced by China to essentially yep. try to decouple itself away from our dollar. I can tell you that when president Trump was actually in office, Macron had tried to call the president and said that France is going to look at around a 30 percent or 40 percent increase in taxation on American goods. President Trump immediately told him that if you do this, that I'm going to go ahead and tax every bottle of champagne and wine and all the items that France brings in at a 100 percent rate. He said, you got five minutes to let me know what your decision is. And I'm already making the order now. Macron told him, call him five minutes. When he called back, he literally told him, all right, I've thought about it. And this isn't a good idea. We're going to maintain what we're doing, Mr. President. See, this is the type of strong, business-minded leadership that we need, because if that would have been Biden, Biden would have allowed us to be pushed around, our businesses would have actually been taxed at an unfair ratio, and then we would have been right back to where we were with these unfair taxation or or trade deals that, just like we had with China and all the rest. And so, again, we, we have to understand, President Trump does not need the Oval Office, but America does need President Trump in the Oval Office. And uh, I can tell you that while I love the great governor in Florida, I think he's done a great governor. I will, I will say this. You can have a great governor and a great president and not necessarily be contrary to one another. We think that Governor DeSantis has done a really good job in the state of Florida, but he is not at the rate and level and capability and capacity that President Trump is. And I don't think anyone ever will be. And so, you know, I get, it's funny that we watch our Republican Party with all the infighting We start tearing ourselves apart, doing the devil's bidding for them as opposed to uniting and understanding what is best for the country, not best for the egos, not best for the individuals, not looking at how it financially may position you or what your pecking order may look like after they get elected or not elected. We have to start thinking about the nation. And so we have to unite behind someone. And that that person for me and for most Americans is President Donald J. Trump.
4: Hey, we, we continue to strongly encourage anyone who thinks they can get in the ring with uh, the greatest showman and, and probably largest political I- icon, at least in our lifetimes, Congressman uh, Donald Trump. We encourage them strongly every single day of the week just to go on, get in, see what happens. Everybody forgets. Who's Scott Walker? I mean, who's Ted Cruz? Rand uh, Paul? You know?
7: Well, I, I'll be honest with you. It's like they say, S-A-S-O. <laughs>
4: Exactly. Congressman, I couldn't think of a better way to start the show for our Big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast than sitting down and having a great conversation with you. It's been too long. We hope that you'll be back again soon. We're going to link your congressional website in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you, and I don't know how after hearing, you know, the last 15 minutes of interview right now, like you wouldn't want to follow him. He's doing stuff with President Trump. He's working with all the American first uh, congressmen and women up on Capitol Hill, and he's working real hard for everybody else. What can we live link as far as social media is?
7: Uh, so, my social media uh, at truth is Mills for at Mills for Florida, and then my Twitter is at Corey Mills FL, same as our Instagram.
4: Perfect. And we'll, like I said, Congressman, we'll be looking to have you back on the show again real soon. This is the representative from Florida Severn, Congressman Corey Mills. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast.
8: Thank you so much for having me. If they arrive at our southern border, they will meet consequences. We urge migrants once again not to believe. The smugglers who are lying to them solely to make a profit. We are building lawful pathways for you to come to the United States. Do not place your life and your life savings in the hands of ruthless organizations. Thank you very much.
4: Well, that was a uh, embattled DHS secretary. <laughs>
3: Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, we ask you to uh, only believe the lies that uh, I'm telling you.
4: You want to know what's funny? And uh, we haven't discussed it with the guest on the show yet, but I think it's pertinent information to the stuck-up, arrogant asshole that he usually portrays himself as, right? So one of our more prominent guests actually went to Beverly Hills High School and was a tennis teammate of Alejandro Mayorkas. Was Ali? Or as they knew him. <laughs> Ali, Ali, whatever you want to call him. Uh,
3: um, the border's not open.
4: Yeah, it's uh, pretty funny. Believe
3: uh, it- we're we're getting increasing uh, volleys of illegal immigrants. Right, because they were on the <laughs>
4: tennis team together at, at Beverly Hills High. You can go and fact check that one, but it's a good one. I mm. uh, took that one out of the pocket today for our listenership and uh, just want to... Say, always good catching up with the congressman, and they're doing a lot of great stuff up on Capitol Hill. I'm really happy that the uh, 2023 Border Act passed HR2 and is on its way up to the Senate. We'll see if it makes it to Baseman's desk. But as we all know, over the last, it's it's Friday afternoon here on the West Coast, so by the time you guys are listening to this, probably 24 hours since Title 42 was sunsetted forever. Um, all fights to get it stayed in court failed uh scotus had said they're done babysitting this administration and if this is what they want to do it's going to be on display for all of america to see and it's on uh, display yeah we do have to say our brave men and women who are down there working their asses off and how overworked they are after being under this regime for the last two years just for the fact that the moment it stopped there was no mass rush gives a lot of credit to them uh, whether it's the National Guard, that new Texas border force, and, of course, all of our friends in the Department of Homeland Security, not Alejandro Mayocres, but all the frontline <laughs> workers that are out there, literally sacrificing themselves to keep this country as safe as possible. You don't
3: think it was the, the empty threats from Title Eight? <laughs> <laughs>
4: Nobody's going anywhere except to the interior <laughs> of
3: the United States. Uh, Title Eight is going to, uh, there's actually going to be a, a catapult that re- mm. returns you to Mexico now.
4: Yeah, that was his worst Donald Trump impersonation. <laughs> No, that was Majorca still. No, I know, him doing (laughs) Donald Trump. (laughs) Oh. So it's baffling to me how we could have gotten to this point. Obviously, you know, on our last edition of the show, the Tuesday edition, we played uh, an audio piece of Joe Biden during the 2020 election cycle when he was still in the Democrat primary.
3: What if Mayorkas dropped the millions and millions?
4: (laughs) (sighs) We're getting there. He he almost dropped the Kamala Do Not Come. Oof. So, but, um, you know. Joe Biden said, I hope to create a surge and uh, we're going to get it because. Not s- those specific
3: words, but the he, I think he said the border should surge.
4: Well, yeah, he said, I hope, I hope we get a surge to the border. And yeah. then he went into these people who are legitimately claiming asylum and coming yeah. from the worst places ever. They should be they should be able to come. So, yeah, it's, it's really disappointing to how, you know, our sovereignty and, and a lot of people's safety when you talk about the human trafficking, women and children being abused and sex trafficked. Uh, indentured servants. and
3: Well, just the amount of, I mean, women and children being raped because of this.
4: And the the drugs pouring in at levels that we've never seen before. Uh, We really have to, you know, be vigilant right now because things are going to get a whole lot worse before they get better in 2025. Joe Biden is going to do everything he can, or at least his handlers are, to make sure whoever wins the White House, we're all optimistic that it's going to be Donald Trump, especially after his continued strong performances lately, you know, is going to be the person to get it done. So, yeah, Mm. I I think it's funny because, uh, you know, when Alejandro Marquez was talking a couple times this week, one of the things he brought up was that he hoped or had wished that Title 42 had ended earlier than it did. You know, we, we had seen Supreme Court step in six months ago and kind of give them a deadline, and he went back to touch on that. Uh, from the White House press pool uh, yesterday. Let's hear exactly what he had to say.
1: About the, uh, sorry, Peter. Sure.
9: We're trying to get...
3: Them, sorry
1: the title, enforcement you're talking about, you're trying to send a message. Uh, the critics of the administration would argue this is a message that you could and probably should have sent earlier on in the administration. Can you walk us into the deliberation? How did you arrive at the idea that there should be a presumption of ineligibility, and why was that uh, policy not announced earlier?
8: So... Um, in response to your precise question, we sought to end Title 42, the public health authority, earlier. Oh. We sought to roll out our immigration enforcement authorities under Title 8 of the United States Code earlier. We were enjoined from doing so by a court.
1: specifically, the asylum policy, the presumption of inadmissibility, why not come out with that sooner? You're trying to send that message now. It's, say,
8: it's, not a, it's not a message. We, we don't promulgate a regulation. We don't promulgate a law to send a message. We promulgate a law to achieve a policy and operational outcome. And the outcome that we seek to achieve through this regulation is to incentivize people to take the lawful pathways and disincentivize them to place their lives in the hands of ruthless smugglers.
3: So, so Title 8 wasn't wasn't suspended during this if you if you weren't under title 42 like if you were somebody that didn't come from whatever countries that title 42 was especially aimed at right title eight was still valid and and up and running right i i don't see why it wasn't so and he's saying that they're not promulgating this new idea that people are ineligible for asylum if they show up the incorrect way right So what about all the people that have been showing up the incorrect way for the last couple years? Did he really just put his foot in his mouth and just say that all those people's claims are void? Well, we'd we'd have to ask the nearly 2 million getaways Yeah,
4: if we can catch up to them. Uh, Good chances you'll more than likely run into them in a neighborhood near you. I think it's really funny the the amount of virtue signaling that goes into...
3: Maybe policing your neighborhood in California?
4: Well, even better and worse at the same time. You'll see it on our Twitter account. You can go find it. There was a town hall yesterday in Chicago... Uh, where some of the Chicago suburb residents were, were they complaining about something? Introduced to some of their new neighbors as the board of the township that they live in said that they've agreed to take on 250 illegals and house them in a active oh. high school.
3: Oh, I thought it was going to be like the the cl- country club clubhouse.
4: Remember, I'm talking the about high school, the, the suburbs of Chicago, the high
3: school. Yes,
4: and. The reaction like from at the, the gym. Listen, who's who's going to play volleyball? You can only think about some of the people who would live in the suburbs of Chicago, and when you saw those people holding up "Bring Back Trump" and "Build the wow. Wall" signs, and not letting the people that sit on their city panel talk, it was it was pretty
3: wow. I'm starting to. That says a lot when it when it comes from a very very left leaning population.
4: The the silent majority is alive and well, and uh, growing every day. I think uh, as as the United States continues its downward spiral, uh, and, and descends into chaos. Guys, I want to remind everybody that's listening today to follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It helps it out. Gets us uh, in the algorithm so when people open up their podcast and look for the news, they'll see Steak for Breakfast. Also on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast podcast, follow us, hit the notification bell, and then anytime we're pumping out stuff that's pertinent to the show, you'll get it delivered directly to you. Yeah, so that's kind of where we're at, uh, you know, in regards to the border. One of the other things he talked about, instead of reharnessing the power of Title Eight that never went away, there's also the... Uh, Magic that's tied to alternatives to detention. Remember, Tom holman has been on the show a alternatives? lot. Well, he said there's thousands of ice beds that have never been used since the start of the Biden administration because they don't want to detain illegal crossers in ice detention centers. So all of these other places that are supposedly overran. I mean, you could go to our, our Twitter account now. I think I posted at least five videos Bus after bus after bus after bus of 150 to 200 people from the time Title 42 ended till sunup when they stopped recording last night. It was like every time four buses left, four new ones were there to just take people coming in. D- didn't even check their bags, put their bags right under the bus, right on the other side of the fence, put them on the bus, and they were gone. No clue where they're going, but probably to a neighborhood near you, as Donald Trump says. Congratulations.
3: Yeah, there's a Instagram profile. And he's a retired Border Patrol agent. Okay. Old Patrol HQ. Hmm. And I follow him, and I was looking at his, and it says, this was last night, approximately when Title 42 expired. And it said, in San Diego's sector right now, over 700 at Spooners Mesa, wherever that is. Hmm. And it has a photo attached. It's like, okay. Seems like everybody's just uh, waiting for the buses. Saddle up. Buckle up, buckaroo. There you go. Speaking of uh, alternatives to detention, let's
4: hear what the DHS chief alluded to when he described uh, what catch and release really is all about.
8: This administration ended family detention in March of 2021.
9: you're not going to bring it back at
8: all? We've made it it clear uh, that families who are in immigration enforcement proceedings, including uh, in expedited removal proceedings, a more accelerated immigration enforcement process, will be on alternatives to detention. Uh, The conditions of alternatives to detention um, uh, may be increased as the situation warrants.
4: The situation warrants. Ollie. Oh, Ollie. It warrants. Uh, there's a, there's also some great videos circulating around. There's a couple of them on our Twitter account as well. So the starter packs that they're giving these illegals that are coming across, they come in big manila inner office email envelopes, and they're ripping them open to find that not only do they get their you know little placard that says, help me, I need to get to my next destination, I don't speak English cards, and they also have cell phones. Not the Obama phones. Is there any glitter? Galaxy 5s. Galaxy 5s?
3: hmm Prepaid debit cards? Pre- how much? Undetermined. So, prepaid debit card, it's not going to be like a generic PIN, or it's going to be a generic PIN. It's not going to be like these people have supplied a PIN number. So, right. we're going to see people getting robbed for their mineral envelopes now, probably. Yeah, there you go. There's going to be stacks and stacks of prepaid debit cards.
4: With us already knowing that work authorization can come to these people is as soon as 18 days after they cross the border. Um, I believe the amounts are twelve to $1,800
3: on those prepaid, depending on family size. So those prepaid cards are going to be going right back into the hands of the cartel or coyote uh, representatives. It's so weird. They're, embedded. All com- they're all coming
4: from the same shady house at the end of the road. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. But, yeah, so so just understand that everywhere from Brownsville to Tucson and just about everywhere in between right now, is being completely saturated with illegal crossings, and those buses are saddling up to take them right into your neighborhoods. And it's just an absolutely disgusting way uh, that this country, at least on a border security standpoint, has you know deteriorated over the course of a, of a little bit more than the last two years. We're going to have the official spokeswoman um, for President Trump on here in just a second, Liz Harrington. But uh, before we get to that, so, it's Senator Ted Cruz was down there yesterday. You know, Senator Cruz talks a good game, but if there's one thing he has done a lot, it's really not just gone down to tour the border. He gets on the boats, he's been in the helicopters, he walks through the weeds. And, and you he said, know,
3: he says Alejandro very ethnically.
4: He does. He really <laughs> w- supports, you know, we talked to a lot of people in all these different agencies, and we talked to a lot of people who work in the news and one name that constantly comes up is Ted Cruz as someone that like talks the talk, where because of the numbers in the Senate, you may not be able to get policies through the House and then up to the Senate uh, that you would want in regards to border security. But you know, it was pretty easy uh, during the Trump administration. It was a three-step plan. You build the wall, you have title 42. And you deport everyone that doesn't belong here, and and that was pretty much what was going on. Um, even in the in the one year that we had, you know, close to half a million people, there were more people going south than ever before. Yeah, and uh, you know, I guess Senator Cruz was being questioned by the media today, and they asked him a couple of questions that were like state media, regime media talking points that they wanted him to talk about, and he just got frustrated and and kind of went off on them. So. Let's hear the senator from Texas.
8: Let me let
1: me ask you something. Let me ask you trip. something. What rate of illegal immigration do we have in 2020? But you have been, do you know anything? I asked your you a question. You know anything?
5: How long have you been in office? I've been in office
1: 11 years yes. now. Okay. Okay. Take
5: the count in multiple administrations.
1: A- except your okay. Trump you don't get to argue with me. You asked, you, you asked your question. You you ask your question. You don't get. You want to hold a press conference? You can do it over there. You want to hold a press conference? You can do it over there. How are you, So hold on. I'm going to answer his question. The talking point of the democrats which this media reporter happily parrots is gosh the problem can't be fixed there's one little problem with that it is an utter and complete lie in mm-hmm. 2020 the last year of the trump presidency we had the lowest rate of illegal immigration in 45 years you ask what have i done i've championed the men and women of border patrol i've championed securing the border i've is. championed remain in mexico and we turned this problem around and solved it and we went from joe biden inherited the lowest rate of illegal immigration in 45 years, and the first day in office, he made political decisions to cause this problem. And you should be ashamed of yourself because you're a reporter and you're not reporting facts. You're telling lies.
4: Tell us how you really feel, Senator. Wow. Yeah, we hope to get him on the show at some point in the future. And uh, I think when we get into a discussion on what the situation is down at the border, he'd be able to give us a really good first-person perspective. I mean, he literally goes and, and, you know, Cut some fence with the Border Patrol. <laughs> yeah, it's
3: it's it's such a bullshit argument for them to say that, like, oh, it's always been like this. It's always been bad. It's like, yeah, it's always been bad. But it was the best it's ever been during Trump.
4: And believe it or not, one of the hot toppies during the now historic CNN town hall starring Donald Trump. Oh, my God. Was how much wall was or wasn't built during his administration. We've got some receipts on that, and we're going to talk about that in our next news segment. But first... We're going to be sitting down with Liz Harrington, the official spokeswoman for President Trump. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I want to have a conversation with you right now about a good night's sleep. Mike Lindell and the family down at My Pillow have been cranking out great savings for over 20 years. Whether you want my pajamas, My Pillow dog beds, my slippers, or Giza Dream everything, you enter promo code Stake here. You're going to experience the biggest savings that he's legally permitted to give. Damn. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean the Bag in the Pod. And when you enter promo code stay here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash STAKE for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash STAKE, or you could always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1 800 658 All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, she's the official spokeswoman for the 45th President of the United States, Donald John Trump. Miss Liz Harrington, thanks for joining us again on the show.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
4: Always a pleasure when we have you. So it's been a busy week for 45, to say the least. Uh, Let's see, we have another witch hunt completed with the appeal now being filed and a successful town hall event against CNN and Caitlin Collins. That's kind of where I want to start with you listen, this was the president's first situational interview slash town hall in a long time since October of 2020. Uh, that would just, it wasn't a rally. It wasn't a speaking event. He was going into the belly of the beast and, uh, man, did he light up the stage to say the least Liz, what were you guys looking and and seeing as you saw the president kind of do what he does. I mean, CNN was obviously coming in with some hit pieces. They were trying to bait him in some stuff, but he kind of navigated the best he could. And, uh, Overwhelming majority on both sides of the aisle think that he absolutely dominated in his performance.
2: Oh, yes. Absolutely. And I think it tells you everything. You need to know the reaction by CNN's own hosts, right? On the verge of tears. Jake Tapper just so distraught. Anderson Cooper actually telling people it's okay if you don't watch us ever again, (laughs) which is amazing because, you know, they actually got people to watch CNN for a change on Wednesday night because people want to see President Trump. And No, it was phenomenal. This is his element. He's so good when he goes into the lion's den, but even more so, he's so good when he's just directly in front of the voters. And the people in the room, that is what really matters. They asked great questions, and you can't say the same about Caitlin Collins, obviously, but the voters asked smart questions. Uh, They were engaged, and and they loved what President Trump was saying. They loved uh, what he's done, and they they love uh, what he's going to do in the future. And it's just that common sense. I mean, you can't be in the room and not come away liking the guy. And that's why those types of events, I think, are so important. I'm glad CNN did it, even if they tried to cut it short. Um, But it, it was a great night for President Trump. And really, it was a great night for the country to actually see what a real leader looks like again.
4: Yeah, I mean, when, when you're just reintroducing himself to the American public, part of the American public probably that doesn't get to see him that often, obviously going on to, like, Oppo Network, like CNN. And then just, like, some of the stupid – I mean, they wanted to, like, hit him on the election. They know that's, like, a, a really strong point for him. But guess what? She kept hammering it, and then you hear the audience groaning at her questions. And when Donald Trump's saying what he feels had happened – you hear the audience start applauding and I'm like, I knew we were like eight minutes and I was like, okay, this is over. He's going to absolutely destroy her for the rest. And it didn't matter if it was like about January 6th or building the border wall or his recent court case with, uh, Ms. Carol, you know, Donald Trump always had the most correct, listen, I would never think in my entire life that I, every time I opened up Instagram, Twitter, true social or Facebook, I would see videos of Donald Trump saying vagina unreal over and over again it's just like hilarious so I, I think you know it was really what the american people needed to start to get re-familiar with him and uh i thought it was a good event for him liz coming off the latest witch hunt which is the Carroll ruling obviously the trump team's already filed their appeals i mean how much more are we going to do this i've seen even like the wall street journal and the new york times starting to allude to right now that okay we tried to do lawfare against president trump and guess what it's not working because, as he said during his town hall, well, you guys can think about, you know, the ruling in the court however you want. But my poll numbers are shooting up. So whatever. Uh, I mean, obviously, the team is, is galvanized when the American people are supporting President Trump in the face of all this lawfare that pretty much everybody on the Trump team has to endure. Is that kind of the way you guys are looking at right now? As long as the you know, campaign keeps getting stronger in the face of all this adversity, we're just going to keep rolling with it?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is what, unfortunately, President Trump has had to deal with uh, since he entered the political arena. I mean, it's incredible. Going through his his new book that he just put out, Letters to Trump, this this is the most, one of the most famous people probably in the history of our, certainly our country. Um, Everybody knew him and everybody loved him. And the amazing thing is he hasn't changed at all. But the only thing that changed is he decided to, you know, actually step away from his great life uh, and do something bigger than himself for for the country. And that's why you get the opposition. That's why you get uh, this hysterical, um, antagonistic uh, attacks, the smears, the, the lawfare, everything. And he's endured it in his family. And all of his associates, anyone who's ever worked for him—if you stay true, if you actually believe in what you're doing—you're going to get attacked too. But it's it's par for the course now, unfortunately, and it just shows you uh, why it's so important what he's doing and why he's the only guy that is actually a threat to the corrupt system. And because he's actually effective, so we know it's going to—it's not going to stop. They're baseless. They're desperate. Um, all these different attacks. I mean, I just read somewhere there's like 17 uh, ongoing lawsuits or types of investigations that are all witch hunts. It's unbelievable. And this is on top of what he's already endured, you know, throughout the first term, and it's never stopped uh, since 2020. So he's, he's used to it. it. I think it builds our resolve because we know we're doing the right thing, mm-hmm. and it's not going to stop anybody.
4: Well, you're you're right there. I mean, the last time we had Alina Habba on, uh, one of the jokes that she made was, you know, they were all working on something regarding one of the sham investigations that they were doing, and she said President Trump just kind of stopped everybody and was like, hey, does anybody realize that it's 12 o'clock in the afternoon? And they're like... Yeah. And they're like, Hey, we haven't been served yet today. That's like, that's a big win for us. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's great. And then, you know, we had Donald Trump jr. On the show about a week and a half ago. And, uh, you know, in addition to hitting some of like the policy points and things that he's got going on, we really wanted to talk to him about what the experience of like that law was, especially when the, the house Democrats met, you know, threatening him with treason, which, you know, if you're convicted, you could be executed. And he was like, man, I used to turn on the TV and see like even people I knew, Oh, yeah, like I like him. And then they'd be like, yeah, well, he's in trouble for this. And he'd be like, do I not know my friends? And, uh, you know, he said as soon as his dad was elected, he started to experience that stuff. And it was just absolutely ridiculous what they've done to his family, to a lot of the people who, you know, still work under him. They always say they're on, like, first-name basis with the IRS and the DEA and the FBI and the ATF because they make so many frequent visits to their house. It's kind of, like, just become an absolute joke. And when you see the New York Times starting to say, like, all right, guys, maybe we should give it a rest, it's long overdue that you probably should. So, Liz, I saw recently... It's hard to find a poll where Donald Trump isn't up 30, 40 points on his nearest opponent, which is still the unannounced Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Even after the town hall that we just watched on CNN a few days ago, uh, it, it seems like it's absolute chaos within his governor's office because they're really looking at this as Donald Trump is already nearing unstoppable and we haven't even really hit you know, the home stretch of the primary season yet what are you guys looking at when you see these poll numbers and the continued like support Donald Trump's getting, even though everybody outside of America first is saying he's not the guy when everybody in America first knows he's the only one.
2: He is, he's the only guy. And I mean that it was demonstrated on stage Wednesday night, who else could go into that hostile environment and and come and just handle it with such ease and do so well. And Nobody. And that's, it just reminds you of what he's going to do when he gets back into the White House. He's going to, he's going to be dealing with people that are a lot smarter than Caitlin Collins, right? <laughs> but he's going to handle it the same way. He's going to handle it with ease. He's got such confidence. And he's got such conviction in our country and what he believes in and he, and he gets, he gets the best deal for the American people every single time. And I mean, it, people are seeing it. And I think since like really the beginning of this year, when he really kind of launched into the campaign, going up to New Hampshire and South Carolina and then going to East Palestine and all of these sham uh, witch hunts, I mean, the, the phony indictment. Um, It's really just woken more people up, I think. And they've seen him. They've seen him leading again. And that's why it's reflecting in all the polls. And I don't think that's going to change at all. Uh, If anything, it's just going to continue to go up. Um, And it's just its hilarious to me. I just read another story. It's like... Ron DeSantis is meeting with donors. What's his pitch? Oh, I'm Trump without the drama. Mm. We've seen this before. And you know what that actually means? That's just establishment speak for the Uniparty. It's yeah. like, oh, I, you know why there's no drama? Because you're all really on the same team. <laughs> and there's the reason why President Trump, it's not because of what he says. It's not about what he puts out on truth or any tweet he's ever posted. That's not the drama. You know what it is? It's because of what he does. It's because he's effective. And when you're doing something right, you're going to get opposition. That is why they lose their minds. That's why they go after him so hard, because he's so effective and he's real. There's no substitute for that. And I mean, it's like the Jeb Bush campaign all over again. Oh, I'm not the chaos candidate. It's like, yeah, you're also not effective at all because you're just... All on the same team. (laughs) You're all part of the establishment. You're all in the uniparty. And nothing will actually of substance, the things that actually matter, will change uh, if you're in office. It's all superficial. And oh, yeah, there's no drama. But (laughs) no, there's actually nothing good that comes of it either.
4: They're so fearful of him and, uh, you know, the things that he's potentially going to bring all the America First policies back, getting this country back on the right track, crime, economy, the border, geopolitics. You want to talk about Schedule F. It's like that's the last, you know, absolute end game for, for the administrative state up in Washington, D.C., and I bet you all 2.2-plus million of them are shaking in their boots knowing that there's a potential that the fact they could not have a job on, on day two of Donald Trump's presidency. So, I mean— He's just beloved. We, we've we seen it in so many different places. It, it's not like we're fanboying or fangirling here. It's not like we're just trying to use hopium to say, like, okay, we, we like Donald Trump and we want him to come back. It's like wherever this guy goes in public, whether it's walking into the district attorney's office in Manhattan at a UFC event or or in a CNN, of all places, town hall, uh, you know, you, you just can't find the guy's weaknesses and, and people just love to, you know, interact with them. I, it's, it's hard to explain and put into words, but it's just what Donald Trump has always been. And uh, we'll be seeing that on big display this weekend, Liz. Last thing I want to touch with you on, huge rally in Iowa coming up. Donald Trump will pack tens of thousands of people into whatever venue he's planning on going to. While you had mentioned him, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis will be doing not... A presidential election anything. It's a private small dinner for donors while he's on a book tour as the governor of Florida, even though he went to Korea, Japan and the UK. Kind of weird. I've never seen anything like this before. What can you say about what the president's getting ready to bring uh, big showman style uh, on Saturday night?
2: Oh, it's going to be great. I mean, get anytime he gets back out there in front of the people, he, he's going to be on fire, especially after this week. He's going to be in Des Moines, got a great lineup of, of pre-programmed speakers also. But um, it, he's just going to be, like you said, I mean, when he's out there and you're, he's in front of the American people, I mean, there's just no substitute. He's so real. He's exactly the leader this country desperately needs. And he's just fighting the good fight. And he's he's lately been even in the midst of all these shams, and just this perversion of justice we've seen time and time again. He's like in the best mood I've ever seen him in. He's so at ease. He's so confident. He knows he's he's doing the right thing, and he knows it's really about saving this great country, which is falling apart before our eyes. I mean, I know you guys cover it so well, but I mean, what's happening on our border right now? It's just a travesty. So, I mean, he's going to touch on all these big issues. We have to get serious. And that's why, I mean, Bannon said it earlier this week, too. Like, what debate? There's no debate. The people know it's Donald J. Trump. He's our guy. Um, And we're all going to watch him this weekend, Saturday night in Iowa.
4: Our favorite showman. And, uh, you're our favorite spokeswoman. We love it when you come on, Liz. <laughs> we'll be already looking forward to having you on again uh, real soon. We're going to live link to obviously the campaign website in the show description today. But for anybody that's not already following you, guys, what the hell are you doing? Make sure you're following her. <laughs> what handle do you want us to live link? Uh,
2: go to uh, True Social. I'm at RealLizUSA.
4: And she is the official spokeswoman for the 45th President of the United States, President Trump. Ms. Liz Harrington, thanks for joining us on the show today.
2: Always great to be with you guys.
9: President Trump, thank you for your time thank here you. tonight. we got a, a great crowd here in New Hampshire, a lot of voters uh, with a lot of questions about what your 2024 term would look like, what another Trump term would look like. We'll get to the voters shortly, but your poll show that you are dominating the Republican race right now, but you are also under active federal investigation for trying to overturn the twenty twenty election results your first term ended with a deadly riot at the capitol and you still have not publicly acknowledged the twenty twenty election results why should americans put you back in the white house
10: because uh, we did fantastically we got twelve million more votes than we had in uh, as you know in 2016 uh, i actually say we did far better in that election mm. got the most uh, that anybody's ever gotten as a sitting president of the united states uh, i think that uh, when you look at that result and when you look at what happened during that election uh, unless you're a very stupid person you see what happens a lot of the people <laughs> a lot of the people in this audience and maybe a couple that don't but most people uh, understand what happened that was a rigged election and it's a shame that we had to go through it very bad for our country all over the world, they looked at it. And uh, they saw exactly what everyone else saw. You look, even if you just look recently with the 51 intelligence agents, that made a 16 point difference. Uh, if you look at the FBI, President, if you look at the FBI and uh, Twitter, uh, they call it Twitter files, made a big difference. If you look at
9: Mr. President, the vote, back to what you just said there, though, it, it was not a rigged election, it was not a stolen election. Uh-oh. You and your supporters lost more than 60 court cases on the election. It's been nearly two and a half years can you publicly acknowledge that you did lose the 2020 let election
10: me, let me just go on if you look at Truth the vote they found millions of votes on camera on government cameras where uh, they were stuffing ballot boxes so with all of that i think it's a shame that what happened i think it's a very sad thing for our country i think it's a very sad thing frankly for the world because if you look at what's gone to our country our country has gone to hell our borders are bad our military has been bad. You look at the taxes, you look at inflation, what's happened to inflation? It's just destroying our country.
3: All right, so everybody's talking about. Does she work for Instagram as a fact checker? She it might was be, not rigged and stolen. She might be uh,
4: maybe joining the new CEO of Twitter mm. pretty soon. Man, oh. the band hammer's coming back. If you guys heard that, uh, I don't know, hot grumble, Antoinette's joined us. She's jumped in third chair which has always been hers, hey. Uh, So, listen, the big CNN Trump town hall, and it was great getting some commentary from Liz Harrington on it as well uh, just before we're jumping into this here. So let me just lay it out for you guys. Donald Trump had not done something uh, of that magnitude, primetime kind of opposition territory, and you know, debating against someone who's supposed to just be fielding questions from the audience since late 2020, right before the election. I think late October was the last time he did a debate or something, and it was against Joe Biden and uh, Chris Wallace. So Mm. this was not, and I'm just going to put it out there, his best performance. However, he did dominate the event, if you can rationalize it that way.
3: Even him him at not his best performance is still just smoked that CNN anchor or whatever she is. I'm going
4: 7.9 to 8.1 overall. Lots of ceiling there, And, and when you get into the Republican primary, we all knew how. This is sword sharpening right now for Donald Trump. He needed to do it. Uh, CNN needed the ratings and we'll talk about the ratings in a little bit. You got the numbers right here. The thing is, as he's working with his teams in practice environments, you're going to be able to better deflect or support details that support his arguments Um, in regards to just getting, laying it out there, rigged and stolen and, and, you know, naming a couple of the third parties that did, you know, election oversight and stuff like that. But by the time we get into the thick of the Republican primary, after august we get into the debate season he won't be going down certain roads that he's been on for the last 20 years answer wise uh because what he should do is promote his results he did lay them out there but she kept digging it wasn't rigged and stolen it wasn't rigged and stolen it wasn't rigged and stolen that he you could see he took the bait on that one it's a shame that they have a town hall and bringing all these people who are supposed to be asking questions if it's supposed to be for 90 minutes it only goes 71 imagine that Mm. Because by the end, it was all body shots. She couldn't even keep up with them. And uh, the audience, who they say is potential Republican voters in New Hampshire, even though it's an event hosted by CNN, were complete. I mean, they were booing her, jeering when she said cringy shit. I'd like to get the audio of her earpiece. And
11: I know, that would be great.
4: <laughs> yeah, so this was great for President Trump. It was great for America First. It's just a shame that they used like, the first 20-plus minutes of the debate to go and and rehash everything. And we're going to listen to them all, the 2020 election, January 6th, stuff like that. And then the first thing they ask the focus group afterwards is like, you know, we haven't heard from President Trump in two years, and he's supposedly running for president next year. Is it really sad, weird, or concerning to you that he just can't get out of the past? And you'll hear a, a really good answer from somebody that sat in the focus group uh, as a reply to that. So, you know... Good old Kate and Collins, yeah. Uh, you know, she worked for the Daily Caller, which was like a Tucky founded organization. She contributed at Fox News before she went over to CNN a couple years ago and lost her shit. Now she's got like a primetime show at nine o'clock, and everybody tells her how awesome she is. But like I said, it was it was like Mike Tyson fighting Glass Joe by the end. Mm-hmm. Even though she, you know, they had their talking points that they were going to try and bait him on a couple times, he took it. Uh, a couple of times I wish he would have answered a little bit differently, which more supported some of the results he got over the course of his presidency, but Hey, you know, we, we, we did the best we could. And it was a good first in a while out there. So, um, like I said, they, they of course went right to January 6th after they were done with the elections. And, uh, we got some good answers from president Trump in regarding the, the people that are locked up. And I, I think it's important because he's, he's, hinted to it on the campaign trail to save america rallies and speaking events but up on the debate stage for more of the world to see uh, he actually laid out a clearly defined answer on what he would do to some of those detainees let's hear it when they
9: when they went to the capitol and they were breaking into the capitol smashing windows injuring police officers why did you why did it take you three hours to tell them to go home
10: i don't believe it did oh let me pull it out i have to pull it out <laughs> So, well, if you look at on January 5th, the day before, I said, "Please support our capital police and law enforcement. They are truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. Stay peaceful." This was the day before, and this was in the form of Twitter. Now, use he Truth, a printout of truth his own Social. Tweets. I think it's far superior. Okay. I hope everybody's <laughs> on. I hope everybody's on Truth. Uh, if you look January 6th at 2: before 2:30. I am asking for everyone at the US Capitol to remain peaceful. This is right after as it was happening. But what happened is, they took it down. I don't know why. I think they took it down because it was so good, they didn't like it being up there. (laughs) I am asking, this is, and we didn't know until I got it back, because now I have 90 million people waiting for me to go back, but I'm on truth I'm staying on truth. (laughs) Listen, I am asking for everyone at the US Capitol to remain peaceful. No violation. That we want no violation. We want no violence. Remember, we are the party of law and order. Respect the law and our great men and women in blue. Thank you. That was at 2.30. That was very early.
9: Mr. President, I looked at the same time.
4: You know, so they didn't look at the same timeline. What they did was they knew that that tweet that he read from 2.38 was taken out off Twitter and never put back up. Mm-hmm. And they're they're using it as like, well, if it doesn't exist in the Twitter timeline now, then you didn't tweet it when he actually did. That's trash. And, uh, you know, through the Twitter files, which President Trump mentioned, uh, we've already seen that Twitter had the ability to like on January 6th, they were like, lock it down, lock his shit down. He doesn't post anything else. Nothing. After that peaceful and patriotic video, it was it. It was over. Mm
3: -hmm. And uh, did they did they not? Sprinkle a bunch of libs in the in the. Audience of this because I mean, when you took out that page of uh, Twitter printouts, like that was couldn't find it, sounded it. like the whole room. <laughs> no, it, it's the truth, and, and like you think they would have stacked the deck
4: at least there where they could. Like I'm telling you, when, when you hear from the focus right. group later, you're gonna laugh. Um, but he would go on to say in regards to the January 6th detainees that he plans on pardoning the nonviolent ones. You know, he said some people got a little bit crazy. He also went down the road of of talking about Ashley Babbitt because she called it a deadly insurrection, and she was the only person that was murdered that day, and he called the Capitol Police officer, who's just a complete slob. I mean, the guy's been written up for losing his gun. There's also a whole bunch of other admin stuff that's been leaked about him. Not a team player, definitely administrative state guy. Uh, the cop that shot Ashley Babbitt. And and he called him a thug, which, you know, of course, CNN runs with and says Donald Trump refers to all black people as thugs when we could oh, just go back. I mean, there's me hours of YouTube videos where uh, it's like Donald Trump with every prominent black guy, including the girlfriend that he dated, who was a supermodel back in right. the day. And now they just like flip it and pretend when the real racist like Joe Biden lives in the White House. He called some obscure mayor that they had in there for an event the other day. He said, come up, come up to the stage, boy.
11: Oh, Lord. And everybody no. just
4: acts like it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, it's it's absolutely wild. Obviously, like I said, they wasted the first 20-plus minutes on bullshit. Uh, and, and, of course, she wanted to cry, try and uh, take a victory lap on the conviction, sort of-ish, uh, that Donald Trump went to uh, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, where the jury found him guilty of not rape, but of, like, sexual misconduct. But, really, they wanted to attach the character defamation because after this lady extorted Donald Trump, and I'm talking about uh, E. Jean Carroll, um, Donald Trump... Rape was sexy. Yeah, The the
3: look on... What was it? Anderson Anderson Cooper or whatever the fuck? The white-haired weirdo? The look on his face. Anderson Cooper was like, uh... He's like, what are you doing? Like, I can only imagine what was going on in his earpiece. Like, Get this bitch off. Get this bitch off right now.
4: But Donald Trump literally went around to shitpost about this lady for the two years that the case was alive because... She was extorting him for money, and in lieu of appeals, she was awarded $5 million basically because Donald Trump had tore up on the internet for the last two years, and uh, we're going to get into all the details of that, but before we do, guys, wherever you're listening today, whether it's on Apple or Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever, make sure you're subscribed to the show. helps us out in the algorithms, and then on social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find Steak for Breakfast podcast, follow the show, hit the notification bell anytime something comes out. It's bigly information-wise. It'll be delivered directly to you. Let's hear the clip where she's talking about the Carroll verdict and Donald Trump's reaction to it right after.
9: A Manhattan jury found that sure. you sexually abused the writer E. Jean Carroll and defamed her. You've denied this. But what do you say to voters who say it disqualifies you from being president? Well,
10: there aren't too many of them because my poll numbers just came out. They went up. Okay.
9: <laughs> I think I'm... I think I'm...
10: I'm the only person in history who had a charge like that. And the, usually you, you leave office, you say, I'm sorry, but I'm going to back home. I'm back home to my family and everything. I'm going to be resigned. My poll numbers went up and they went up with the other fake charge too. Because what's happening is they're doing this for election interference. There it is. This woman, I don't know her. I never met her. I have no idea who she is. I had a picture taken years ago with her and her husband, nice guy, John Johnson. He was a newscaster, a very nice man. She called him an ape. Happens to be Afri- African-American. Called him an ape. The judge wouldn't allow us to put that in. Her dog or her cat was named Vagina. The judge <laughs> wouldn't allow to put that in. All of these things. He, but with her, they can put in anything. Access. Yes. What a perverted bitch.
3: Do we, do we need a new button? Vagina. I already got a smaller clip of it so we can record it.
4: So. Oh, my gosh yeah so that's kind of where they were at i mean they were just going for anything that kind of stuck and like you heard vagina the the audience was jeering and then they were laughing especially when she's like you were convicted of sexually assaulting but not
3: rape and then the audience but not really sexually assault they laughed they laughed laughed. laughed laughed.
11: you know it's bullshit like the majority of people know it's fucking crazy political hit job 101 yeah
3: and it's making it so, I, I know I've said something along these lines like a hundred times now, but it's making the normal people, like general public, general society is just like, you know what? I didn't really like him the first go around, but now like everything's coming out. He's, he's not really sounding as racist as they make him out to be. And then all this stuff that's happening, it sounds like it's bullshit. They're just, they're just throwing yeah, shit at the like wall.
11: Like liking him. I, I see it in the comments on Twitter and oh, stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, this is really cool to see because people are waking up like people like, that were never like really political, you know, are starting to speak out. Yeah, which is, like
3: it. which is why we have to be even more worried about him actually being able to run. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. the it's the fear that he
4: stokes within the administrative state. You know, we're going to talk about that in just a bit with the uh, former Trump secretary of the interior. Uh, David Bernhardt is going to be joining us for the first time. He just actually wrote a book on deconstructing the administrative state. as a great read and uh, looking forward to sitting down with him. But they would continue to stick on things, not looking forward to 2024, but remaining in the past. And, and one of the ones uh, that's very near and dear to President Trump was the narrative on the border wall. Now, we have the receipts, but we're going to listen to uh, a person in the audience ask a question first and then see how Caitlin kind of tries to take it off the rails for
12: herself. ...administration plans on deploying 1,500 troops to the southern border. Do you agree with deploying troops to the border, and how will a Trump administration slow down the rate of migrants coming across all our borders?
10: Sure. A very fair question, especially since tomorrow is going to be a day of infamy. You're going to have tens of thousands of people pouring into our country. Even the judge, you know, the judge overruled them when they wanted to terminate it early, and he said, you know that you better extend this thing. The judge in Texas said... I hope you're going to extend this, but this is my policy that they're letting terminate because they lost in court. They wanted to go earlier. You're going to have millions of people pouring into our country right now Mm. at a level that nobody's ever seen before. These people are sick anybody that wants this to happen to our country, they're destroying our country and this should not be allowed to happen. How they're not going to do a version of Title 42 or my Title 42, which was tough. If people are sick and have infectious diseases and lots of other problems, we don't want them being into our country. We have enough problems right now. We have problems like we've never had in the history of our country. Our country country is being destroyed. The
9: reason it's ending is because the health policy, the COVID era a pandemic emergency is coming to an end. That's what Title 42 was. You put it in place because That's of COVID. True, but you when have... it comes to big questions about what your immigration policy would look like if you are reelected, some of your Republican rivals have criticized you for not fulfilling the promises that you made on the campaign trail, like finishing the border wall. So how did voters know that you would get those done if you're reelected? I
10: did finish the wall. I built a wall. I you built hundreds of miles of wall. And I finished it, and then I said, we have to build some more because there are areas like water going through a dam. There are some areas where a lot of people are coming. You close up one and they come into another, and we started. Another 100 miles of wall. In fact, I said to my people, if we start this and don't finish it. And then we had a rigged election. I'm sorry to say it.
9: (laughs) The election was not rigged, Mr. President. You can't keep saying that all night long. And
10: so then they took over and they decided not to finish it. It would have taken them three weeks. I built hundreds of miles of wall. If we didn't have it, it would be hard to believe it could be any worse. They're just letting people flow into our country. Look.
4: So listen, I got to let the Trump team know. Guys, it's easy we all understood how it went. The wall was being built and rebuilt in phases. He needs to use the word phases or portions. And he did. So she claimed that only 52 miles of wall, she didn't specify if it was new or restored, was built during the Trump administration. That's a flat out lie. 52? 52.
3: That's nothing.
4: Well, I shared on our social media. It's on our Instagram. I've personally
3: seen more than that, probably driving along the border.
4: story (laughs) right it's on our true social it's on our twitter where dhs commemorates the completion of 450 miles of wall now granted the u.s southern border is just about 1400 miles long so phases parts that were completely broken down and that were easily accessible to high levels of illegal crossings and in places where the new approved walls were built where there was absolutely nothing there and and you know We really need to understand going into this election cycle. They're going to take his words and twist it. Mm -hmm. But when he says he finished the wall, he did finish the initial first phase. They did not finish the wall because of the massive Pelosi and Schumer induced government shutdown. And, you know, he did build hundreds of miles of wall. I, I shared a commemorative plaque that was, you know, Given by DHS that says this marks the spot where 450 miles of border wall were completed during the Trump administration.
3: Yeah, if you if you drive on the on the highway from San Diego out east to like El Centro or even to further to Arizona, I mean, you there's visible new border wall on your right side as you make that drive. You can, I mean, you can tell there's more than fifty miles. Fifty miles, come on.
11: Like you specify, you know, like once we finished it, then you know. People start to adjust and figure out another way to come in on, you know, other areas. And then we started doing stuff there. It's like, <laughs> these people are fucking retarded.
4: Yeah, they certainly are. Mm. And, uh, you know, they tried to get him as, of course, with talking about kind of the new, but sticking in the old, they wanted him to be a Russian asset. They wanted him to be a Putin enthusiast and stuff like that. And I think personally, the best answer that President Trump gave all night, besides vagina, I'm honest with you. I'm kind of retarded was his response to what's going on between Russia and Ukraine. Let's hear it.
9: Would you give Ukraine weapons and funding? I was impeached
10: funding? by a crazy woman named Nancy. But the question is, here is, would her. you give
9: Ukraine weapons and funding if you were. I funded?
10: would sit down. Let, let me just put it a nicer way. Uh, if I'm president, I will have that war settled in one day, 24 hours.
9: How would you settle that war in one day? <laughs>
10: because I'll meet with Putin. I'll meet with Zelensky. They both have weaknesses and they both have strengths. And within 24 hours, that war will be settled. It'll be over. It'll be absolutely Do you over. want
9: Ukraine to win this war?
10: Oh, uh, I don't think in terms of winning and losing. I think in terms of getting it settled so we stop killing all these people and breaking you? Can I just follow up on
9: that? You said you don't think you in terms of winning and losing. Mr. President, can I just follow up on that? Because that's a really important no, statement me, let me that you just follow made up. there. Can you say if you want Ukraine or Russia to win this war?
10: I want everybody to stop dying. They're dying. Russians and Ukrainians. I want them to stop dying. And I'll have that done. I'll have that done in 24 hours. I'll have it done. You need the power of the presidency to do it. That
3: was a brilliant parry on the warmongering fucking message that everybody's putting forth right now. It is not about winning and losing. It's about a peaceful resolution, Mm -hmm. which... When all this shit started was the fucking goal. They're like, oh, we just want a peaceful resolution to this as soon as possible. And then it was like military industrial complex, like the, the cartoon like dollar signs in the eyes. Of course.
4: Or so they'd make you guys think. You know, 2015 Trump would have kind of alluded to, and maybe even towards the end of his first term, President Trump, how smart of a guy Vladimir Putin is, and he would use examples that weren't necessarily geared towards the question they were asking him, and then they would just be able to slice it up and say, like, this guy just loves Vladimir Putin, he's a Russian asset, this, that, or the other thing, we always know he's compromised, he loves Russia for some reason, he's probably going to get a hotel there when he's out of politics, but when you give an answer, like Noah said, with that level of diplomacy in it, that has nothing to do with the outcome, and yeah, nothing it was to do brilliant. with and cent- It's brilliant. It was the best answer he gave all night. Not yeah. the funniest one,
11: <laughs> but it was it was very good. Absolutely, very good. she kept trying to, you know, corner him and get him to say what they, you know, the the narrative that they've been painting since 2015, 16.
4: Yeah, yeah it so. certainly was, and and we weren't going to get out of this one very. F- Little mentioning of Joe Biden. He has said how Joe Biden's like, you know, tank the economy, wreck the immigration system. But I think because we're still right at the beginning of the Republican primary season, he's kind of figuring out where his focus is going to be. Obviously, I feel like he's pretty much already cleared the field and it's just going to be embarrassing for all these people that get in to go toe to toe with him in the Republican side. But there's no real winning and just hammering Joe Biden from this year all the way up until the ballot box, you might see a little bit of exhaustion if he constantly hammers on the same thing. And I think laying off of him while while pointing out all the failed policies and current state of the nation is probably his best move. And the last clip we're going to hear from the town hall before we get reactions in our next news segment and before we jump in with uh, Secretary Bernhardt, of course, Ron DeSantis and Joe Biden were brought up and uh, President Trump gave a pretty honest assessment on what he feels or how he feels about both of them. Let's hear it. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Thank you very much. I'm 26. I'm a veteran. I uh, help manage a private aviation company. Um, you want a job? I'd love one, yeah. I'm
10: looking, yeah. I'm looking for somebody very good.
4: I, uh, I'm not for mandates or government interference in private business, but right. I've seen Republicans going after us, like DeSantis, after Disney. Right. What would you do as president to protect us from government interference?
10: Well I'm the one that really wants to protect you. All of these fake investigations of me are about election interference. They think because I'm leading Biden by 11 points, 7 points, 9 points, I'm leading the sanctimonious by a lot. <laughs> by 40 points or 45 points i think you ought to just relax and take it easy and think about the future because right now his future is not looking so good Mm. i will tell you this we are really putting it to biden but he's putting it to himself because the economy stinks inflation is horrible and the border is a disaster and by the way the way he got out of afghanistan was the single most embarrassing moment in the history of our country
4: just enough that he needed to yeah and uh Threw a little disanctimonious in there. Mm. Uh, you know, Ron DeSantis is still kind of figuring out what he and his team are going to do. Now I'm not hearing late May anymore. I'm hearing early June. Best thing I could say is for as much hype as this guy's getting, remember we told you for 24 hours, seven days a week, this guy was promoted on Fox News at the start of his book tour for 14 days straight. Every single major show, he was the main guest. And uh, he's done all these speaking events. For some reason, the governor of Florida decided it was prudent as part of his domestic book tour, to talk about how awesome Florida was to go to Japan, South Korea, and the UK. So now he's uh, doing a donor dinner in Iowa and going toe-to-toe with Donald Trump on the same night. And, you know, they're promoting this never-back-down super PAC. I don't know if I'd put the word super in front of it because it's been in operation for nearly four months now, and it just cleared 6,000 followers on Twitter. Yeesh. So for someone that's supposed to be the great savior and the complete alternative to Trump, the largest money-making apparatus Mm. that supposedly they have has less Twitter followers than the steak for breakfast Twitter account, (laughs) which is our 12th one and not the highest amount of followers we ever had. Sorry. I'm still but her. What was the highest we
11: ever had? 14.2. Oh, many times.
4: Yeah. We finally cleared 10 K though. So at least we're getting a little bit more traction as far as the algorithms go. But, but, you know, it's like I'm saying, these guys aren't ready for prime time. No, Ron DeSantis' team is filled up with the biggest B and C tier, you know, people that are butthurt that they didn't get either included in the first Trump administration, jobs that they'd wanted. And and what can you say? Donald Trump knows it. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. said it on our show. He made half of these losers, and, and they all know exactly who they are. I mean, Cash Patel's alluded to the fact that they're making a list and checking it twice he's not santa claus but these are the people that will never see the inside of mar-a-lago ever again or have anything job related associated with donald trump so i hope everybody likes showing those pictures of like them standing next to him at the resolute desk giving thumbs up because it's a thumbs up for yes you made the biggest career mistake of your life and Ron DeSantis is going to do the exact same thing if he decides to get in the ring which apparently now gets pushed back to june but hey we're just commentators here. So as we're getting ready to sit down with Secretary Bernhardt, excited to talk to him for the first time, we're going to hear from one of our partners first. You know how
3: you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? Oh. you got to try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bills. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per 2 ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you'd like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some farmer bills with the code steak for an extra five bucks off by a 12 pack. You can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American made company that shares your values. Get yourself some farmer bills. Traditionally air dried beef jerky today.
4: All right. Joining us next on the show today, he served as the 53rd secretary of the interior during the Trump administration. And he's got a new book. You report to me accountability for the failing administrative state. Something we like to talk about all the time on the show. Secretary, David Bernhardt, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast.
6: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
4: Oh, it's our pleasure, sir. And uh, I do want to get right into it because uh, I've been checking out this book and it's a really good read. There's a lot of interesting things that uh, led to you becoming secretary during a shutdown and then some of the work you did to make sure that the great men and women who serve in our federal agencies got back to work. You want to kind of let our listenership know a little bit about that and like what was the premise for getting this book started?
6: You bet. the uh, The title of the book is "You Report to Me," and um, the the introduction is really based on a convert in the title, are based on a conversation that I had with uh, President Trump. And um, you know, uh, President Trump was a dynamic uh, leader, and he he asked me to come over to the Oval Office one day as my boss is resigning. And you know, I go over there, and I have no idea what to think. I mean, I don't know. Am I getting in trouble? Am I getting Uh, fired. I have no idea what's going to happen. And I'm really uncomfortable. And it's my first time going into the Oval Office alone. And I walk in and I sit down and uh, the president was just wonderful. He went through um, issues associated with the department, what uh, was happening with my uh, superior, uh, my predecessor. And then um, we talk a little bit about, you know, the next steps. And we get to the end of the Conversation and he asked me if I have any questions for him. And, uh, you know, I had one big question, and that question I think any uh, employee or subordinate would have, which was, um, who do I report to? And uh, the president, you know, looked at me a little uh, quizzically and said, well, you report to me and i'm like well you know sir i know that's what the constitution says but like i'm just trying to do my job so who do i really report to me and um as you can imagine i thought that wasn't a very satisfactory answer but i wasn't going to say much more and he looked at me and he basically said oh i get it let's say i'm on air force one and you can't get me for some reason though you should be able to get me um i guess that you could call somebody else but when when I land, you better call me. Nice. And I went, Oh my. So, um, I walked back to the department of the interior and I had worked at the department of the interior in the Bush administration. Yeah. And it took at times it took months for the secretary of the interior to get a meeting with the president of the United States months. And I was like, I'm not sure how this is going to work out. And I took over during, um, the longest shutdown in history in 2018, and so you know that's uh, that's like getting on a ship that's actually uh, moving forward, but it's empty, right? And so I'm on this uh, I'm on this in, in leading interior. No one's really in the office, and I decide to make a decision to begin to reopen the some of the national parks uh, and put some people back to work. I had some resources that I believed I could do that with, and uh, I knew it was going to be a controversial decision, and. Because of that, I thought I needed to tell somebody at the White House they were likely to read about it in the Washington Post and the New York Times. So I uh, I didn't know who to call. I thought about it a little bit, and finally I took a profile and courage, and I called the secretary of the president. And I said her name was Molly, and I said, "Hey, Molly, uh, this is the junior varsity quarterback, you know, the temp at Interior, and um, I need." you know, I need to get a message, I think maybe to the president, but maybe to somebody else. Um, So if you could just sort of pass the message along, it would be great. And um, she goes, she laughed and she said, Secretary Bernhardt, the president will call you back in a couple of minutes, which I, you know, I hung up the phone and I seriously doubted, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And uh, 15 minutes later, the phone rang. It was the president. I told him, um, what I was going to do, and without missing a beat, and this this really says something about him as a manager. Without missing a beat, his first question to me is, "David, we've been in the shutdown for a while. If this was important, why didn't you do it sooner?"
8: Mm-hmm.
6: Legitimate question, right? And I'm oh, like, yeah. "Well, you know, we're kind of in a transition. It was hard to figure out." And he kind of gave me a pass on that one. Said you probably ought to do better next time. The second thing he said to me was. You said this is controversial, right? And I said, yes, sir. It's going to be controversial. And he said, well, maybe you should ha- say that I directed you to do it. Now, think about that a minute. Wow. You got a politician saying, hey, you're going to take some heat here. Maybe you should let me take that heat, which I think is incredible. And then he said the most important thing to me, which was, listen, you're running the Department of the Interior. If you think something's important, you do it. Don't wait, and you can call me later, but don't wait to get stuff done. And for the next two years, that's precisely how I ran the Department of the Interior. And I seriously doubt that there's any manager in America that wouldn't be thrilled to have their boss say, hey, get stuff done quickly, Um, know that I have your back, and, and you're empowered to make decisions. And that's the type of leader he was to work with, at least for my experiences when the Department of the Interior. And so the book is You Report to Me based on that title. But the underlying theme of the book is, hey, everybody that works in the United States government reports to the American people. And it's time that we start delivering better results to America.
4: Those are some excellent points you made and you know just another receipt for our show we have so many former administration officials on here on a regular basis everybody from you know Rick Renell and Cash Patel to Devin Nunes and and beyond and it's all we always get kind of a story like that to where it was like Donald Trump trusted the people he expected loyalty and whenever there was a question on whether or not to pull the trigger on something figuratively of course he would always say like I put you in this position for a reason you don't have to run every single thing by me We're all leaders here. Lead. And and when it was time to take the heat, he'd be there to take it for you. And, uh, you know, we've we've also been able to outline and deconstruct over the course of the last couple of years how some of the things that didn't get done in the Trump administration Uh, administration didn't have anything to do with the hires or the the way, you know, President Trump uh, tried to do his mandate for the American people. It has to do with the administrative state and uh, everybody from, you know, a half dozen of his former deputy assistants all the way down to, you know, former cabinet members uh, and such have come on the show and said the same thing. It's one of the big, you know, underlying tones throughout the course of your entire book. Do you want to talk to our listenership a little bit about draining the swamp and just how big of a problem the administrative state is?
6: Well, it's stunning. And, you know, as I said, I served in both the George W. Bush administration and the Trump administration. And what you, what the book does, you report to me, we have an entire section where um, a colleague of mine, James Shirk, uh, with the American First Policy Institute, went out and did a paper uh, last year where he actually interviewed former Trump political appointees. And in interviewing them, just picked up the, the, the actual stories they have. And the stories are absolutely jaw-dropping. But the difference between those stories and the experiences in the Bush administration. In the Bush administration, you had folks that simply wouldn't help the policymakers. And the, so, they just wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't act. In the Trump administration, what we saw, as these examples highlight, is people actually doing the opposite of what um, the president's policy was or what was uh, suggested. And when you think that there are 2.2 million members of the civil service, if 5% are doing something, that's one thing, if 10 or 15 or 20. And I think the most stunning um, example that I can highlight is one that – was highlighted in her own book. Debra, Deborah Burks wrote a book, and in the book, she explains, and this is highlighted in my book. She explains that um, the White House uh, was reviewing memos that she wanted to put out, and they were making edits to the memos. And what she would actually do, she calls it a workaround, and some and and some other things. What she would actually do is they'd write a they'd write a red line she would go in and change the red line to accommodate them. And then somewhere else in the memo, put the words in that she wanted, which is like, if it was anywhere else in America, that would be complete insubordination. Yeah. Um, and it's not that she did it. What's surprising, not surprising that she did it. What's surprising to me is that she did it. And then she wrote a book about it <laughs> to explain that it was a good thing. And I think that just shows how far we've gone from where the civil service was really um, intended to be. And, and I'm a big believer in the need for a civil service, and the book highlights that. Um, as a matter of fact, my wife works has worked at the Department of Justice as a career attorney uh, for a very long time as a civil servant, and we need the civil servants and the political leadership. But if the civil service ignores the policies of the president, what they're really doing is they're ignoring the will of the people that elected that president for good or bad. And we cannot have that as a society. And so the title of the book at the end of the day, You Report to Me, really stands for the principle, in addition to the president's words, for the principle that everybody that works in the United States reports to you and to me, and they ought to to get with their program of staying in their lane and doing the right thing to provide better results to the American people.
4: I think that's the point right there. You know, we've we've gotten so many people that have made up the administrative state now, over 2.2 million people. And when you just look at it, they know they can ride out any kind of policy, any kind of mandate, any kind of thing that they don't want to do because they've turned their jobs into a political one. Uh, right. That they could just gum up the gears for four years, maybe ride it out for eight, uh, and they're getting close to retirement, or, or, you know, they're just career appointments, so they're going to collect a paycheck forever. And, and it kind of takes the wind out of the sails of the mandate that, you know, the American people elect elected officials, especially the highest office in the United States, to go into the Oval and carry out for them. We saw a lot of it during the Trump administration. I think the biggest combatant to that now will be the implementation of Schedule F if Donald Trump could win back right. the White House in 2025. So we're really looking forward to that. And Mr. Secretary, we're going to be looking forward to having you back on the show soon. I think we've opened a can of worms today. We'd like to have you back soon. We're going to live link the book in the show description today. But if we could follow you on a website or social media, where do you want us to live link you as well?
6: Well, look, go go to Truth Social. You you, you have me there, uh, Twitter, or go to me and check out the book.
4: Well, we're going to be cranking it out to our listenership. And like I said, we're going to be looking forward to sitting down with you again. This is the 53rd Secretary of the Interior served during the Trump administration Secretary David Bernhardt, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks a lot. Oh, from Washington, and it was an
6: interesting night. Uh, Mr. Trump's first lie was told just seconds into the night with his (laughs) false familiar claim that the 2020 election was, quote, a rigged election. And the falsehoods kept coming fast and furious about the January 6th insurrection, about the threat to Vice President Pence, about Pence's ability to overturn the election, about COVID, about the economy, and more. He called a black law enforcement officer a thug. He said people here in Washington, D.C., at Chinatown, don't speak English, he attacked (laughs) Caitlin as a nasty woman because she was trying to get him to answer a question. Perhaps most chillingly, the day after a nine-person jury of his peers in New York found him liable for sexual battery and defamation and ordered him to pay writer E. Jean Carroll $5 million, he made fun of her account of her (laughs) sexual
13: assault. And many in the audience laughed and applauded. The former president making his first appearance tonight on this network since the 2016 election, he spoke with and took questions from the Hampshire Republican and undeclared voters who plan to take part in the GOP primary, and it took place just a day after, as uh, Jake referenced, a Manhattan federal jury found him liable of sexually abusing and defaming writer E. Jane Carroll.
4: So that was fake news, Jake Tapper crying, mm-hmm. and just, open-mouthed man kissing on New Year's Eve celebration, Anderson Cooper, seething. Over uh, Donald Trump's resounding strong performance in the CNN town hall debate, I, I don't like to say that you guys did it to yourselves, but you did it yourselves. Y'all did it to yourselves. I mean, it's it's pretty simple to see. And uh, as, as you guys heard, it was uh, you know pretty factual there. So I told you guys there was a focus group, and, and directly following whatever kind of commentary you call that, they asked them. Remember. Instead of talking about anything in regards of uh, taking the Oval Office back in 2025, they wanted to stick in uh, rigged and stolen elections, January 6th, and uh, not building enough border wall. Let's hear from the focus group.
0: Bother you that he keeps talking about 2020 and not 2024? I'll ask you first. This is Jonathan Leslie. He's 40, Republican, voted for Trump twice. How do you feel about those lies?
8: So I feel like part of it's also the media narrative. As you guys asked him the first question at the town hall about the 2020 election rather than current stuff.
0: So don't you think he could say it's time for me to start talking about 2024 and not lies that aren't true? Couldn't the media ask him a question about 2024? Well, there were questions, but you're right, that was the first thing, but that's something that was on our mind, and that's why I was asked first, Mike. So, (laughs) if
4: anybody was wondering why they cut the uh, town hall 20 minutes early. Because
3: they were getting lambasted by the freaking people in it? (laughs) Okay. I know.
11: You know. I was thinking, like, like, do they screen the people that were there? No, it's like, <laughs> like in the crowd.
3: That's amazing.
4: Caitlin Collins' face, right in the beginning, when he said the <laughs> election was rigged and stolen, and then you hear everybody start doing like an organic applause out of it. She kind of yeah. like whipped her head real quick to the audience, and then she's like, silence in her earpiece. Like, what do you Why, do to yeah, that? Yeah, how do you respond?
0: I, I feel like,
11: no. like she's like the rookie CIA agent trying so hard to prove herself. <laughs>
4: And, you know, this goes to all the other people who are potentially getting in this race right now. You don't have to say rigged and stolen. I'm telling you, the Trump campaign is pivoting towards election interference, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't talk about election integrity, you are not even going to be considered serious candidate in the Republican primary. It's just mm-hmm. the way it is. Yeah. Poll after poll, anywhere from 60 to 80% of registered Republicans. A lot of independents, too. Even some Democrats thought there was something weird with the 2020 presidential election. And that election integrity moving forward is something that needs to be uh, towards the
3: forefront. Well, third world countries have better election integrity than we do. Mm. Straight up. Third like, world countries. Insane. Not Mexico. Not Mexico?
4: Also, the one thing I could they have, fact check. They checked,
3: have electoral cards, at least. True story.
4: Yeah. There was one thing I couldn't fact check. And it was the fact that if there are any first generation Chinese Americans living in Washington, D.C.'s Chinatown listening today. Mm-hmm. Just hit us up in the DMs.
3: Do you speak English?
4: <laughs> Do you speak English? <laughs> I I have no data to support. I, I don't have the data to
3: support that. We're going to uh, take your uh, lack of answering as a yes. Because he uh,
4: did say Joe Biden had 18,000 boxes of, of stolen top secret documents in Chinatown <laughs> in a place where they don't even speak English. That was what the semicolon segue was. <laughs> Sometimes I think he does it just because they're going to talk about it. Yeah. But, yeah, in regards to wondering what uh, CNN – and you see how he fed them the question. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. Isn't it weird that he wouldn't move on? How would you like to commentate on the lies? And the guy answers. He's like, yeah, but all the blatant lies that he was saying, how do you feel about that? And the guy's like, uh, why didn't you, why didn't you just ask him about 2024 if that's what you want to know about? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, we have that on our mind. It's like, well, you should probably should ask then. Well, we've already talked about seething. You guys ready for a little cope? Mm. Following the event, uh, the next day in the morning show – sad ratings as usual joe Doucheboro. man you want to talk about threats to democracy listen to this co-post
5: i'm I'm constantly telling people not to catastrophize over trump (laughs) that he's actually going to lose because he keeps drilling down deeper and deeper into his base um but it is it is uh I, I can't believe I'm 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 going to use catastrophizing language here, uh, but it was it was just it was disgraceful on every level. It showed uh, I, won't, I wouldn't say it's dangerous for democracy because we passed that a long time ago, but it showed the corrosive effects of Trumpism over eight years, and I've got to say. Uh, I, I, the, the most shocking part was an audience who cheered on a president who tried to overturn oh, God. an American democracy. <laughs> an audience that mocked and ridiculed a woman uh, who Made a, a jury story. of her peers, oh, Donald man. Trump's peers, found had been sexually assaulted. Those Americans there last night turned that into a punchline. She literally said she wasn't sexually assaulted. Laughed and dismissed. Cops just, just getting the shit kicked out of them. Rape was sexy. On January the
11: 6th, beaten up well. over
5: and over again. Calling a cop, a thug, mm-hmm. who actually was trying to stop people from the house floor from being killed.
3: Oh, come on. Um,
5: I could go, I just could go on and on. Good thing we won't <laughs> let you, though. Know. What a
8: cope. He did if not they have was...
11: scripts. He was, like, going completely on now, his own. Holy shit.
3: Now, granted, was... it was probably a nobody's allowed to get past this point situation. But had people broached that doorway or window or whatever it was, mm. the only thing that would have happened was more selfies with people in Congress yeah. as they looked horrified.
4: Mm-hmm. Agreed. What <laughs> They're just going all for it now. When they rehashed that January 6th, remember, Caitlin Collins called it a bloody insurrection, and Joe Scarborough said cops getting the shit kicked out of him repeatedly over and over again twice. He needed to use getting the shit kicked out of him. Um, And listen, it's like we always say, anyone who went to the Capitol on January 6th and did stuff that was outside the parameters of the law, yeah. and I'm not talking about, like, what is it called, the parading and grandstanding or whatever, interrupting. No,
3: if you broke windows and and if you... Did something bad, yeah. Yeah, go to fucking jail. But but the fact of the matter
4: is, is that like like I said, the boneless chicken wing and and the witch in the wheelchair, and the lectern guy. How much time did the lectern guy do? I have no idea. I have no idea. I'll have to ask him next time. He uh he actually somebody did something and somebody made a podium. It's like every time something goes bad. I think it was the border. And somebody took the podium and made it the border fence, like he was walking out of the Capitol with that. And then the next person underneath (laughs) it tagged him in the post, and uh, he said something after that the other day. And it's just like, I I don't know what to do. How did he have
3: to bring the podium back, or did they come take it? I I want to know details. He got raided.
4: Oh yeah, but uh, I'm still gonna get us a mini lectern for the studio. Oh how
11: desperate they are! They they keep bringing up this bullshit. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like so far beyond. Like you know, in the past. Yeah nothing else it's just honestly it just tells me that they're fucking scared ratings were off the
4: chart uh so i saw the ratings
11: yeah
4: and uh cnn town hall with 2024 gop front runner real donald trump landed atop the cable news ratings at 8 p.m on wednesday beating both fox news and msnbc during the time slot (laughs) nielsen fast data showed that cnn scored a whopping 3.12 million total viewers that's not including youtube rumble things on true social a Twitter, anywhere that was live streaming. That's just cable. And a whopping hey. 703,000 viewers in the key 25 to 54 age demographic. Just as a comparison right now, the last time Joe Biden did that one where it was with creepy Don Lennon, they did a town hall and he kept like trying to get closer to him, asking him if he was vaccinated or not. <laughs> that had a grand total of 1.46 million viewers and absolutely tanked in the 25 to 54 demographic with 126,000 people tuning in in that yeah. age demo. So apparently he's the worst thing ever, and everyone hates him. But they all want to watch him. (laughs) Yeah. The greatest showman definitely uh, racked up the wind. So Anderson Cooper, believe it or not, I still can't believe he's not fired because he went on CNN uh, last night following that stunning piece with such braveness by Joe Dushborough Mm. and told people he understands if nobody ever wants to watch CNN again. (laughs) Think I'm bullshitting? Let's hear Don't it. Wait.
13: If you have expressed deep anger and disappointment, many of you are upset that someone who attempted to destroy our democracy was invited oh. to sit on a stage in front of a crowd of Republican voters to answer questions and predictably continued to spew lie after lie after lie. Oh, and oh, oh. I get it. It was disturbing. It was disturbing to see and hear that person refer to a black law enforcement officer as a thug, oh, God. an adjective he used many times to describe black men, and call Caitlin Collins the moderator nasty, which is what he calls any woman who stands up to him. It was disturbing to hear him speak so highly of QAnon conspirators and insurrectionists who <laughs> let's assaulted police that. officers let's in a democracy bring them all on back. January 6th, and it was awful <laughs> to hear him spread ridiculous lies about the election. And it was certainly disturbing to hear that audience, young and old, our fellow citizens, people who love their kids and go to church, laugh and applaud his lies mm-hmm. and his oh. continued defamation but, of a woman who according to a jury of his yeah. peers, he sexually abused and defamed as good a job as Galen Collins did trying to fact check him, it is impossible to fact check him? fully because he lies so shamelessly. We fact checked mm. her at least four times Many today. of you think CNN shouldn't have given him any platform to speak and I understand the anger about that, giving him the audience, the time, I get that.
3: We needed to sell ads. But
13: this is what I also get. Sponsored oh. by The Pfizer. man you were so disturbed <laughs> to see and hear from last night, mm-hmm. that man is the front runner for the Republican nomination for president. Sure is. And according to polling, no other Republican is even close that man you were so upset wow. to hear from last night, he may be president Santa of the United ended, right? States in less than two years. And that audience that upset you, mm-hmm. that's a sampling of about half the country. Those are Christian they are voters. They are your family members, your neighbors, and they are voting. And many said they're voting for him. Now, maybe you haven't been paying attention to him since he left office. Maybe you've been enjoying not hearing from him, thinking it can't happen again. He's, he's in the news 24-7. Some investigation is going to stop him. Well, it hasn't so far. Hmm. So if last night showed anything, it showed it can happen again. It is happening again. What? He hasn't <laughs> changed, and he is running hard. You have every right to be outraged today and angry and never watch this network again. <gasps> but do you think staying in your silo and only listening to people you agree with is going to make that person go away? You have a silo?
4: Did he, just I ca- I <laughs> did, did he just call the deplorables branch of <laughs> 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 I'm sure they'd like... Uh, America first to end the same way the branch Davidians did, but that ain't going to happen either. So
3: sponsored by Pfizer. Oh man. Who wrote his speech? Jeez. Hilarious. Well, here's the thing. Well, it wasn't Kamala Harris's speechwriter, That's for sure. Listen,
11: <laughs>
4: <laughs> if
3: I'm the CEO or
4: the owner of CNN, regardless of what my political views are, if, if somebody that works under my employee goes on the airwaves, and even though barely anybody's fucking watching and tears my asshole up like that, mm. First commercial break after that monologue, he's fucking fired. Yeah, I'd be running like old clips of Brian Stelter, God rest his soul, <laughs> the Harvard professor, uh, <laughs> instead of letting that bullshit go out on, on my network.
11: Well, we all know, though. I mean, if anybody has actually done their research and background on Anderson Cooper and where he comes from, who he is, affiliated with, and all that jazz, we know he's a part of, you know, the higher table,
3: mm. if you will. So. The NWO? Mm, kind of. And all things associated with. I think Brian Stelter's doing tawdry representations <laughs> like re- remakes of uh, Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> so- the fatter, gayer <laughs> version. Of it.
4: So, tail the tape for our favorite Florida congressman. And we do have quite a few of them, but uh, the largest one of them all Byron Donald, 6'2, 275, African American.
3: Ain't scared of shit
4: went and sat down in studio at CNN following the town hall debate to absolutely hammer everyone that wanted to fill whoever else was left listening head with lies. Let's hear him.
0: a couple of things. First of all, town halls are for the voters, not for the press not for the person who's the moderator Got her. caitlin spent more mm. time interjecting her own viewpoints or her own look views on a situation mean, th- hold, th- hold, those hold, are hold, actually hold,
6: hold. facts now though. are you
0: hold on are you guys not going to interject your well, views on me or do you, i get a chance to speak, right, if you're okay, to speak. those were facts the town hall is for the president to speak to the voters of New Hampshire, not for this back and forth. Well, that's with the media. That's defined number that? one. Hold on. That's hold on. That's number one. Number two, with respect to Ukraine, I totally disagree. He did not say he was just going to give over Ukraine the way you intimate, Van. He did not say that. He didn't say he what was, he said. He did what, say what he said was is that he would actually look for a solution to end it quickly. He put 24 hours on it. But let's be very clear. What Joe Biden has done has been a disaster because initially with Ukraine. Joe Biden wanted to give Vladimir Zelensky a, a ride out of Dodge. He wanted to give him a plane ride, and it wasn't until people in Moscow and Ukraine, here in the United States, said this invasion is wrong, that Joe Biden reversed course. Do you want a victory well, well, in Ukraine? Well, do, do, you, do, you, do you want a victory? Yeah, okay. in I'm just trying to respond to everything that's been coming up on the table. Last thing, let me say this. Ooh, next, um, you we spent 20, 22, 23 minutes talking about January 6th. Uh, We could have been talking about a whole lot of other issues instead of doing that for the first half hour or so. But let me be very clear. What was said in this town hall about National Guard troops that were authorized by by Caitlin was wrong. I'm on the Oversight Committee. I was in two hearings on January 6th. It was testified in oversight that Donald Trump authorized national guard troops on january four he followed up in a call with then acting death secretary of defense on january five trying to see where the deployment was on those troops that is testimony in the oversight committee everybody testified in oversight committee when nancy pelosi was speaker of the house except one organization and that was the capitol police did you read the but Nancy pelosi book? would not allow that the, it, I'm te- well i'm telling you what was testified right. to in the oversight what, committee right. under oath well, let me just come-
3: mm-hmm next you mean the... i think
11: it's so funny how they like like um in the town hall when she was asking him about his like views on ukraine it's like almost like a gauge for these people like do you believe in this with the ukrainian yeah. war and all that. It, it's so funny it, it's such a fucking yeah it was ugh. the Sec
3: Def's book under oath is that what is, yeah. that, is that what he's trying to say that's the point he was trying to make yeah and then the ukraine thing do do you not want a, a victory in Ukraine? I'm glad you didn't answer. There is no victory in Ukraine. Bingo. There's only going to be concessions because it's impossible. Yeah. It is literally impossible unless, like the freaking military industrial complex complex wants, they like to eat. It is a forever war that never stops. Mm. Because there's there's no way they're gonna regain most of this territory. It's gone. It's gone. And a lot of the territory that Ukraine has lost, they wanted to be Russia anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
11: They're Russian. They speak Russian. Yeah, <laughs>
3: it's, it's a border dispute <laughs> like that's totally been going far. on for hundreds of yeah. years, and uh, you know that's kind of. I, I want somebody to answer it like that. Do you, do you not want a victory in Ukraine? There is no victory in Ukraine. Do you, do there you, isn't one. Do you just want. More it's not a real die. thing. The tooth fairy does, is going to happen first. Look at Ooh. their
11: Twitter bio. Do they have a flag? Yeah. Ukrainian flag. You, Every time I see somebody on Twitter comment with the Ukrainian flag, I'm like, okay, you're not worth it.
3: Do you not believe in the tooth fairy? You can always ask Adam Kinziger.
11: Oh my gosh, that guy. (laughs) Gotta love him.
4: (laughs) Yeah. So that pretty much wraps it up. And I mean, again, we're going to have full coverage of Donald Trump's Iowa rally on Monday. So he being helpings of 45.
3: Mm.
4: (laughs) Byron Donald's was literally like, why are you shoveling dirt on me? I'm still
3: alive. (laughs) What are you doing? I'm burying you. Shut up. You're going to wake the neighbors.
4: (laughs) (laughs) It was literally like that. He could have done that with his shirt off or finished talking, got up, and just threw the chair over the table. Yeah. And they just couldn't handle it. Just slam his hand on and go, Woo! You want to know what the best part about it is? Well, that's the thing. I shared a tweet of that, too. They didn't know what to do or how to react or how to be ready for Donald Trump to come on. As he's coming onto the stage, the guy providing commentary, the guest expert they brought on, he's like, I don't really know what to say. I'm just gonna have to channel the words of WWE legend Ric Flair and say, to be the best, you gotta beat the best. And I'm saying they're like, that CNN just, just, happened? Just, yeah, they just quoted Ric Flair <laughs> and compared him to Donald Trump.
6: It's oh, amazing.
3: Yeah. They didn't know what to do. And and you know, it's just like what if Trump would have rolled up with like some pit vipers on? That would have been amazing. Would, he just needs the robe.
4: I know. With the boa collar and has like champion. Trump and rhinestones yeah. in the back. That'd be so great. And, uh, you know, we do got a little bit more of, of business to take care of before we get through uh, with the show today. Now, first of all, wherever you're listening to us, hopefully you're enjoying it. And if you are, make sure you're subscribed. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever. And then social media is Twitter, Getter, True Social, Instagram. Find Steak for Breakfast podcast. Follow us and hit the notification bell. We're going to be sitting down
3: with someone who had... And if you get your hands on somebody's phone that is not a fan,
4: five subscribe ratings. anyway. There you go. Have five-star ratings. <laughs> We're going to be jumping in with Congressman George Santos. We're extremely lucky to have him coming on the show today because he's had a, I wouldn't call it a rough week, very interesting one as well because he's only been in Congress for five months and it seems like a federal investigation into like stuff with him is moving along pretty quickly. Now Mm -hmm. Joe Biden and his family, especially everybody's favorite first son, Skittles wiener, Hunter Biden, (laughs) Really? I Skittles mean, we're, we're talking about decades worth of public service. <laughs> decades. And, and and grossedness by his son. Seems like we might be getting a little bit closer to the light, though. So the House Oversight Committee, headed by James Cover, that's doing an investigation into the Biden crime family, uh, held a press conference on Thursday. And they were really excited to say we're finally toast to the starting line. Of getting shit done here in regarding all of the bad business dealings and influence peddling that the Biden family's been doing, e- technically everyone's been getting paid in his family, from Joe to Hunter, the brothers, grandkids, and nieces
3: have been getting money. Does wired any, do to them. any of them work? Like, what do these people do for a living besides just leech off fucking hey, Joe Biden's? Listen here, Jack. Sketchy dealings. I got elected to the Senate when I'm I was seventeen.
11: All and psychos. I, they have nothing to do.
3: <laughs> I had to
4: wait two months to be able to get sworn in he's been a public servant for how old is he now like 140 so at least 95 years he's been mm-hmm. a public servant and uh yeah we're gonna let's hear from the uh house oversight chair as they were getting ready to bust this thing wide open
12: instead of being with honest with the american people president biden has claimed since the 2020 election that his family has not received money from china mm. that was a lie That's awkward in 2020 and he continues to lie To the American people now. The Bidens have received millions of dollars from China. It is inconceivable that the president did not know it. The White House refuses to correct the president's statements, showing the president is now using the federal government to run interference for his families and his own role in these schemes.
4: Well, we're just getting started here. And it's really interesting. It's inconceivable. If it was just a couple of Congress people who were Trump loyalists, I'd be like, okay, you know, we're kind of just virtue signaling here. But you got everybody from, like, Annapoleon Alusa and Nancy Mace to Jim Jordan, Andy Biggs, Steve Scalise. It's like everybody's sprinkled in there. Mm -hmm. Beth Van Dyne and uh, Brian Mass. The backing for this is huge. And the dollar amounts, um, especially when Joe Biden was in office, is absolutely mind-blowing as well.
3: I've never received millions of dollars from anyone. Not even And 10, I'm very disappointed.
12: Not
4: even $10 million from foreign nationals and their uh,
3: companies? Yeah, never. All right, let's hear I've it. I've never even, yeah.
12: With the Bidens and their associates, it has received these bank records pursuant to four subpoenas I've issued to different banks. These were targeted and specific subpoenas, and each was different based on the information we believed the banks possessed. Every one of those subpoenas returned valuable information that had been unreported And that contributed to this committee's understanding of how the Bidens conducted their businesses. The committee is concerned by the complicated, suspicious network Mm. of over 20 companies. We have identified the Bidens and their associates used to enrich themselves. Most of these companies were limited liability companies formed during Joe Biden's vice presidency. The bank records show the Biden family, their associates, and their companies received over $10 million from foreign nationals and their companies. Some of that money came from a Chinese company and went to Hunter Biden's company. Other transfers occurred with the help of Rob Walker, who then sent it on to different Biden family members. This is not how lawful businesses operate. Chinese nationals affiliated with the Bidens created limited liability companies in the United States and then in a short period of time transferred their interest to a Chinese company that sent money to the Bidens. Hmm. Hmm. This is not normal. No. Hunter Biden and his associates courted business in countries that correlated directly with Joe Biden's work as vice president. This is also not normal. It is not ethical. And this is why we need legislative solutions. Our purpose here is to provide...
4: So, listen, (laughs) it's not normal. This is not Burisma. (laughs) This is not the former mayor of Moscow's widow giving Hunter Biden a payment in the form of a diamond. This is completely new. This is business dealings within the two major hotspots they talk about was Romania and China. Of them coming to the United States as business... Like entrepreneurs setting up these fake LLCs and shell companies, and just using that as Joe Biden washes their hands, they send money to these shell companies, and then after a little while, the money gets distributed to the Biden accounts, and then the shell companies, the LLCs, they just go away, and then they open up new ones, and then they launder more money
3: through that.
11: I wonder if they get ten ninety nine. I mean,
3: it's what it, it's exactly the same thing that criminal organizations do. Yeah,
11: one hundred percent. I mean, they know the system, obviously, so.
3: The committee's main concern, because they have identified up to
4: 20 fake shell companies or LLCs that the Bidens and their associates use to enrich themselves here in the United States with Chinese backing. And uh, like I said, the dollar amounts just in this instance, not Burisma, not other companies in China, not Ukrainian energy companies. This is just in this instance. Um, is in excess of $10 million. Not and how
11: much more or how many more?
4: Yeah, well, that's that. that's the alarming point. Just the amount of stuff that's going on here. It's absolutely crazy. And in our last audio clip of the day, and as we're getting ready to just finish introducing this topic to you while we're getting ready to sit down with Congressman George Santos, let's hear the House Oversight Committee Chairman
6: one more time. Be able to prove the central thesis that President Biden was directly involved with corruption without getting bank records for either President Biden, Mm -hmm. James Biden, Hunter Biden, showing the transfer of money or the payments of uh, expenses that President Biden should have picked up himself. Mm -hmm. And secondly, on the FBI informant file, um, are you going to be able to provide us any more information today on that, such as which country it pertains to? Um, and is there any evidence that President Biden has offshore bank accounts?
12: Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, with respect to, to President Biden, I don't think anyone in America who's watching C-SPAN or any other network that's covering this would think that it's just a coincidence that nine Biden family members have received money uh, for this influence peddling scheme. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what as, as Representative Jordan and, and the other speakers, that what business is there you know, the media has always said two things. First of all, the media have said, uh, many in the media have said that no transactions happened while Joe Biden was vice president. We've proven that wrong. Joe Biden said during 2020 that his family never took any money from China. Today we've proven that wrong, and you have it in your memorandum, the, the bank uh, transfers. So we believe that uh, the president has been involved in this from the very beginning, obviously uh... we're going to continue to look uh... there are what we've cited today and what we're updating you with today four banks those the result from four banks we believe there are twelve banks mm. So right now, you could say that uh, we're in the the beginning stages of this investigation, but many of-
4: just imagine how many more fake shell companies and LLCs they're going to find if they extend that out with eight more banks, and they've already identified twenty fake companies in the United States that are all connected to the CCP.
3: Yeesh! Do you think? Uh, I mean, given the wide net that's being cast on this, I wonder if they're going to find anything like associated with those uh, CCP police stations. That's a good. That's an excellent point.
11: I was going to just say that as well yeah. because now they're cracking down on it because my family's in New York. Um, they're cracking down on those PlayStations. It's wild what they do because like they're targeting dissenters, you know, from you know that are Chinese and whatnot yeah. for the most part. They're so spying and, and doing their thing and setting up shop with uh, the NWO. It's so, but so
4: uh, it's so weird yeah. how we're fighting it on so many different levels. It's like you see everybody knows Miles Gow got hemmed up by the doj recently he got detained and he's in detention right now ahead of his court proceedings he's like one of the biggest adversaries of the ccp then you have these ccp police stations policing their own
3: dissidents are are they detaining people there or or are they just going to your door and just intimidating you
11: (laughs) they literally people disappear like chinese nationals that are american citizens as well they go to your house
4: and beat your ass like for reals they they had video of it in la from like a year ago really yeah
3: well, I mean, crazy. they're obviously not just beating your ass. They're making you disappear, too. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Depending on how big of a threat you are. And then you have all these, you know, at least 20 that they've identified already, fake LLCs and shell companies that are money-washing things for for politicians up on Capitol Hill all the way up to and including now the former vice president and current POTUS of the United States. Big week. Just think, they get no traction with stuff like this, even though they're bringing all the receipts and saying they're just at the beginning of, of the investigation. And what do they do? They go and But Congressman George Santos has asked this week for like a $500 uh, unemployment payment or some bullshit like that, which is what we're going to get a little bit of clarification on right now as we're getting ready to jump in with him. But before we do that, let's just hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. You're in a promo code stake here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, coming in hot. You're on Steak for breakfast right now. He's the congressman who represents New York's third district. Some people refer to him as King. We refer to him as George Santos. Congressman, how
7: you doing today? I'm good, Ron. Thank you for having me.
4: Well, you've had a interesting week to say the least. Busy, some would say as well. Uh, we just want to kind of see how you're doing. As uh, we're re- very thankful that you took time out of your schedule to come join us on the show this week.
7: Oh well, look, Ron, I- I'm I'm good. I'm I have a good head on my shoulders. I'm sitting here. I'm taking this step-by-step it's obviously for me the first in my life so i now need to look at this stuff take it serious uh i you know my my legal team is looking at this stuff and we're we're trying to make as much as we can of it uh obviously being 100 percent cooperative uh with the doj and we'll be 100 percent cooperative with with anybody who is requesting information and the legal and the legality of this so that we can, you know, defend myself and we can come out on the other side. Look, this is all about understanding that this is serious and you can't downplay this. You can't, you know, you can't ignore it. You have to take it for what it is. And now you have the right to defend yourself. An indictment is nothing more than a formal accusation. It's incumbent on me to now go defend myself and have my side of the story. And then, you know, it, we, we can all figure out what goes next but as of now it's very early into the process to see uh what's going on i mean it's just it's so early discovery hasn't been done yet so you know we're, we're still very very early and i again i only agree to speak with you because you know we've been doing this for a while and we had the schedule and i didn't want to change anything on my schedule so I'm always happy to address you and your audience then.
4: Well, that's the thing, Congressman, we've told you before, like whatever's going on in your life, that's one thing. But when you come on this show, this is a political podcast. We talk about politics. We respect the office that you duly won when you ran for election and that you currently hold. So when you come on the show, that's the exactly the way you'll be treated. And we think as fair as we are, we see you coming back frequently, and we we and our listenership thoroughly enjoy it. Um Well, what did you think about the uh, recent developments we saw yesterday when James Comer introduced, it looked like an episode of The Sopranos that I've never seen, even though I've watched the series at least a dozen times, kind of outline the parameters of the Biden crime family.
12: Oh, look, I I just
7: think it's very curious. You know, uh, there's a double standard at some point, and we need to root that out. Justice needs to be blind, period. You know, I, I think everybody should be under the same equal scrutiny and what? Congressman Comer put forward is troubling. And I think we all need to uh, understand that. And I think there needs to be fair, good media coverage on what's going on. And if there's anything there that needs to be investigated, I think that, you know, the justice, I encourage the justice department to do, you know, to do so. Now, a lot of people are out there speculating, oh, they're not going to do, the justice department tends to put their evidence together and come out only when they have absolute certainty that they have a smoking gun, right? Um, with that said, I do think my, my, in my own personal situation, or four months, that was kind of premature, but I digress, right? They, they do as they please. <laughs> the way I look at it, I think transparency is on the horizon, and I think uh, and Comer is hovering over the target, and he's doing a damn good job on it. And I, like you said, it's an unseen episode of The Sopranos. That's, that's for sure.
4: It certainly is, and uh, listen House Republicans of a whole have been doing a great job since they 've been sworn in in January, and that includes you know everybody working outside of the oversight committee uh like yourself, Congressman Mills. Uh, you know, was on the show a little while ago, and and he's been working hard, too. They got H.R. 2 passed yesterday. But uh, I do want to ask you, because it's really important, things that you do off of Capitol Hill and and what the people elected you to do is just as important when you're in district. You just finished up a big week. We were tracking you on social medias, whether it be just a a small mom-and-pop, small business, or just about every good-looking restaurant in your district. You were out there working, meeting the people, and letting them know what you've got going on up on Capitol Hill. How was the work week when you were out in district?
7: It was actually cool because it was a uh, small business uh, week and I campaigned strongly on small business initiatives and I just did good on my promises to keep my, my small business um, uh, approach and priorities in, in front and center and focus. So meeting with the business owners was great. Just talking to people I've never met before. It, it, it was a great experience from my point of view. Uh, and then just meeting with local elected officials and, Looking at the priorities of the constituents. Look, throughout this entire process, from the day, from the day I got elected all to now, none of the outside noise has deterred myself or my staff from delivering the service that the constituents of New York's third district deserve. And, and we, we're very proud and we stand proud of, of doing that because at the end of the day, I get paid, my staff gets paid to service the district. And we do that. We get stuff done in that, in this office. So that's, that's, that, that will continue to be the case uh for as long as i serve
4: you know i don't want to try and steal your thunder congressman but i see uh one of your staffers vishborough is is literally live tweeting right now action shots of him he i'm quoting now swatting lies he also operated a mean car horn the other day which we saw and shared on our social media what can you say about the uh driving prowess of (laughs) vishborough
7: Well, look, I have a lot of, uh, I have a lot of staffers. I have a lot of good people who work really hard to service the constituents. Vish is obviously my most notable staffer. Uh, the, the media has made him into a, a media darling of some sort. Uh, you know, he he often says, you know, the moment I turn a corner, people already know you're following because he's <laughs> often seen with me. <laughs> so he's become highly recognizable, but he does a good job at making sure that I get to where I have to be and and, and I do and and I'm on time and I'm on schedule. I have a great reputation for never being late. So I probably been late once or twice and throughout this entire process. And that's something that I I strive on, on doing It's simply because I respect people's time. So, and that's largely due to Vish making sure that I get to where I have to be.
4: Excellent. He's a, he's a fan favorite here on steak for breakfast as you've become Congressman. And uh, you know, anytime we could kind of, edge him into an interview we certainly do I do want to talk about some <laughs> st- big news here and probably bigger than a lot of stuff was a reaction you got recently so last time you came on you talked about your, your proposed uh, house resolution 2631 the Minaj Act apparently just recently you got a response or a reaction from Nikki Minaj you want to tell our listenership about that
7: yeah that was fantastic I mean she supports it she called it the best she's like everybody's talking about Santos and obviously all nasty ugly things but I went and read what he, what the Menage bill was all about, which is how she referenced it. Uh, I like calling it the Menage Act. Yeah. <laughs> but she, she, she complimented it because she understands medical freedom. She understands body, body, uh, bodily autonomy. Like she, she said it. No one will ever have to be forced. And she, she, in, in a very public way endorsed the message and the framework of the bill. I mean, I said this on Marsha Kramer, I said this to you guys before, politics is boring. Mm -hmm. Politicians have the responsibility to make politics interest, to drive conversation, to get people who won't talk about politics talking about politics. So the fact that I got Nicki Minaj talking about politics and exposing politics to a whole generation of followers of hers who are young and youthful Gen Zers, predominantly, who would refuse to talk about politics. I can't imagine a Gen Zer turning on C-SPAM, let alone having actual kitchen table discussions about politics. I managed to do that through just an, all you got to do is sprinkle a little bit of pop culture into it. And it makes it interesting. People all of a sudden spur conversations. That's how you enlighten the next generation of leaders. That's how you enlighten people to talk about important subjects that affect their daily lives. Most kids you'll talk, tell them, hey, are you registered to vote? Like, yeah, I don't believe in that. You know, that's why, what, half of this country votes? Yep. every presidential election tickle exactly
4: and no, it is it's it's the things that like you said politics can be extremely boring and it's the draw-ins like that especially when the people well, let's just say inspiration for the name as someone that uh, you know as big a figure as Nicki Minaj just weighs in on it and, and you know gives credit to like you said the awareness for medical freedom what things have been restricted or, or might have been taken away from the American public and what things like your proposed house resolution can give back it, it's big and, and, and especially with this young Generation who's kind of a little uh weary of the way the medical system works as coming out of COVID and the pandemic and stuff like that. There's a lot of people who feel like decent portions of their lives, their youths, their childhoods have been robbed and uh want to see more uh opportunities to have medical freedom when you're talking about uh things moving forward. God forbid there's ever another pandemic or or, or just
7: in regards to like their normal health care. So Not even not even that the fact that you get them talking about politics, period, we can even stop there. Right. Because then that means they're paying attention. The majority of politicians get away with murder, uh, metaphorically speaking, because nobody's paying attention to what's going on in Washington, D.C. I came here with the proposal to change that narrative. And I think I'm doing a good job at it. I think I I strive to engage people who will never engage in politics. This is about public discourse and creating that debate, you know? So I, I, I stand by that. I will continue to put legislation out that is relatable to the American people that can get the layman or the youth of this country talking about policy. Policy is the reason we have politicians. Without policy, there's no need for politicians. So why are we not... All engaged in policy discussions.
4: It's an excellent point you make there, Congressman. And uh, speaking of discussions and policy, one thing—the last thing I want to touch with you on—so uh, Speaker McCarthy met with Chuck Schumer, uh, Mitch McConnell, and Joe Biden this week. They talked about you know the uh, debt ceiling deadline that's coming up here. Uh, Secretary Yellen has said June 1st is make or break, even though we feel like there's some leeway on both ends. It doesn't seem like they made much of any kind of progress, though, uh, at least the way Speaker McCarthy and McConnell kind of came out and and gave, uh, you know, their comments following the sit down with Joe Biden. We know that you worked in, in, the, in the business sector. We know you understand everything that's going on with the debt ceiling, what potentially it could mean for the United States, uh, not just on the economic level, but global standing. What can you tell us about uh, you know, what, what we could see over the course of the next just over two weeks now before we reach the deadline?
7: So here's, here's what's going on. The American people do not deserve a default. If a default, if the first ever historic default were to come, that is on Biden because he is coming from a standpoint as if he has full control of government, which he doesn't, he doesn't want to budge or concede. And he wants to silence the American people. Remember midterms happen for a reason. It is to check the president. People change; don't like the direction the country is going in. So when you lose control of the house of representatives, you need to understand that now it's the time to compromise, especially a president who's seeking reelection. If he wants to be a strong potential a uh, reelectable uh, incumbent, he needs to understand that the American people has changed the majority of his House of Representatives because they did not like the direction that the country was going in. So he has to understand that us negotiating with them and bringing them to the table is not optional. It is mandatory because that's what the people want. Each and every one of us represent anywhere between six, seven hundred thousand people in some cases less, but the reality is From a business standpoint, from an economical standpoint, from a global standpoint, we cannot default. But we also cannot continue with the insanity on spending. I have mentioned this publicly before. I'll continue to say it. If we brought us back to 2019 spending, we have a 28% surplus. If we were to adjust the surplus uh, of 28% by 50% to include uh, um, compensating for Social Security, Medicare, and also accommodating for inflation, we'd still remain with a fourteen percent surplus in our budget that we can pay down the debt of this country. True. That is responsible. And the difference between 2019 onward is all these COVID nineteen provisions. Yep. We can do away with every last one of them at this point.
4: And we'd save close to uh, ten trillion dollars over ten years, which is which is just mind blowing. The money that we're that Joe Biden is potentially willing to spend by not negotiating with House Republicans and and Mitch McConnell. I thought it was great that over the course of the last week we saw uh, Senator Lee out of Utah was able to get 43 people on the Senate side to sign on, which means like Joe Biden's wiggle room has kind of evaporated and he's gonna I think run up right up to the last minute and then kind of make concessions. I hope we get as much as House Republicans are proposing because like you said, even with all the COVID stuff in there and the amount of debt we've racked up over the last couple years, we could still drive down the overall debt, but we'll, we'll have to see what happens and uh congressman we'll have to see what happens with getting you back on the show soon we know you're going to be joining us towards the end of the month and uh we're looking forward to it we're obviously going to link your congressional website in the show description today but for anybody that's not following you on social media where can we check you out
7: yeah you you can always go to rep george santos and you can see everything that's going on on all platforms facebook so uh instagram and twitter and We keep all of our official updates there and, and we're always engaging with the, with, with the users there and making sure that we keep as much information out there for everybody to stay on top of.
4: And We love the fact that you engage with our users today on this Big Friday edition of Steak Proof Breakfast. This is the congressman representing New York's 3rd District. Congressman Santos, thanks for joining us on the show.
7: Thank you Ron. You guys do well.
4: Have a good weekend. What an absolutely phenomenal way to end the week. Not only do we get one of Our newest and favorite President Trump one-liners We sat down with some amazing guests today We'd like to thank every single one of them for coming on the show Former Secretary of the Interior Dave Bernhardt, Congressman George Santos And Corey Mills, and of course the official spokeswoman For President Trump, Liz Harrington You guys made stakes great again Guys, remember to get subscribed to everything Across every social media And we'll be back on Tuesday We've got another heater New York Young Republican Club President Gavin Wax Newsweek editor josh hammer kenny cody and jim faffer are all gonna be here on behalf of the pod team i'm ron noah later antoinette
11: bye guys good to be back
4: thanks for listening have a great weekend and take care does the
10: female form make you uncomfortable
9: mr lebowski
5: Uh, is that what this is a picture of?
9: In a sense, yes. My art has been commended as being strongly vaginal, which bothers some men. The word itself makes some men uncomfortable.
10: Vagina. Oh, yeah?
9: Yes, they don't like hearing it and find it difficult to say, whereas without batting an eye, a man will refer to his dick, or his rod, or his Johnson. Johnson? All right, Mr. Lebowski.